Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. And today we've got a special guest, a South Jersey legend, Mr. Intuit Over It himself, Evan Weiss. Hey, oh, man. You know what? My favorite part about this podcast so far is hearing the, like, Philadelphia accent so oh. <laughs> so deeply i love it and i miss it so much and it comes out uh i i feel like i somewhat lost it when i moved here yeah. and whenever i'm home it just like immediately returns you know like i get around my dad and like some of my old friends like from growing up and it just pops right back out so hopefully if you're listening at home you can recognize the point in during this podcast in which i switch back to my south jersey philly accent <laughs> it's, it's gonna creep out it happens to me too now i have to ask you do do you hear it in me too because tommy tommy has it he definitely has it but i feel like i've lost a bit of it uh moving up to here here I, to new york i gotta say keith it's it's still totally there and the only reason i, I can hear it is like so so clearly is just because i've been so away from it for so long so like now when i ever hear like the slight did you ever guys watch a uh, the Kroll show. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I've yeah, seen that bit. He, with him, yeah. <laughs> That's like, I don't, I try to explain the Jersey accent or the Philly accent to friends out here and they just don't get it. And so I have to show them Pennsylvania in order for them to understand exactly what like the different regional dialects are between like New York, Philadelphia, New Jersey, South Jersey, and then Baltimore specifically, because yeah. they're so, so particular and specific. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I, always, I always just ask people to say, can you say the word home, like H-O-M-E? And they go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like my, my my mother says it. My mother grew up in Logan in North Philly. So like yeah. my mother will say things like, uh, you's going home now? And I'm like, oh, boy, that just – is that how we sound? Christ. <laughs> And the recurring joke on this podcast, we discovered that we say member instead of remember. Oh, remember yeah. that? Remember that? Yeah. Yo, remember, yo, that? remember that? Remember that guy? Remember that guy that used to come around? Uh... But Evan, now this is this is a good opportunity to debut. We've we've figured out what we're going to call the listeners of the podcast. What do you, what is that? Members. <laughs> <laughs> That's remember. right, folks. If you are a listener of the Northeast Scene podcast, you are a member. That's it. <laughs> years, years down the line. Mem- member members? You know, just like, <laughs> I love it. So, Evan, tell us how your life is right now. You know, we've there's so much crazy shit going on in the world. We've got COVID. We've got uh, protests. We've got police brutality. It's just one thing after another. We had murder hornets, but they seem to have fallen by the wayside. Yeah, they they kind of like... They wrote the murder hornets out of the out of the series finale. I, I I've yeah. been kind of uh you know me and some friends have been um you know this obviously isn't meant to like downplay the reality of, of what's happening in the world right now, um, right. Uh, you know kind of like a a stark joke that me and some friends had made is that it feels like the United States is in the series finale. 
And, um, oh, yeah. you know, and so someone, <laughs> someone needs to reboot the show, come in and be a, like a new director for this, for the program. Cause it seems like it's about, it's on its way out. We're about to get canceled as a country. Yeah. yeah. Um, it feels like that. They're just throwing everything at us. Yeah. Like yeah, but so the, the murder hornets kind of felt like a, like, wow, this really is like, they're trying to resolve every storyline they can right now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, all, all told, you know, I live in Logan square, Chicago now. It's like right kind of in the, uh, one of the Western, uh, neighborhoods. It's not a, it's in the city of Chicago, but it's like just a little farther west of like the downtown area. And mm-hmm. um, I've been living in the same apartment since 2012. My girlfriend and I live here together. It's uh, we're both employed, thankfully, very grateful for that. And um, you know, we've had jobs where we've been working from home this entire time, and it's um, it's just been uh, you know doing what we can to give back to our local community and supporting local businesses and, you know, out there, you know, protesting and, and, uh, drive a 15 passenger van as a car. So like, you know, coming up with ways to help people get home or help transport stuff or, you know, um, just kind of doing what we can to support our local economy and our local, uh, collaborative community of people that live around here, which, you know, Chicago has been really good to me since I've lived here. I've lived here since 2008. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it's been really, really good to me here. And, and, you know, I've really in the last few years, especially uh, kind of found my footing, spending more time in the city and, you know, got a career here that I was happy with. I would kind of uh, needed some time away from being a full time musician and, and um, you know, and it was really helpful to to kind of make peace with that and, you know, enjoy living in the city again. Um, yeah. So what is that career? Uh, so I actually do uh, business development for the website Reverb.com. Okay. okay. So Reverb is a uh, is a gear focused marketplace website. So if you're you know if you're yes. looking to buy a new guitar or buy a vintage guitar or you know sell something that you own, it's it's a uh, you know it's person to person you know transaction basically. So you could go. Yeah, and- it's a great site. I've purchased uh, pedals through it before. Yeah, awesome. That that rules. Yeah. So I've been working there for about three years and. Um, you know, and I've been doing business development and partnership stuff and supplier relations, like, you know, relationships with different brands for uh, probably the last two and a half of that. So mm-hmm. um, so how do you feel working the full time job now as compared to just doing music full time before? Is there one that you prefer? I actually prefer. Um, well, so, you know, I've always felt uh, I feel like there's four big parts of being a musician if you're going to be a full time musician. And there's it's writing, recording practicing and touring. Those are like the four, the four big things are like performance, you know? And so for me, uh, in the order of favorite to least favorite, it goes, um, recording, writing, performance, practicing. And so, uh, and when you're a musician and when you're a full-time musician, it can really, um, it can really fuck with your headspace. Uh, can I say fuck on this thing? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, it can really fuck with your headspace about what you're doing and why. Because you'll make some decisions that are probably pretty questionable or you'll take, uh, you'll say yes to certain things that you maybe normally wouldn't say yes to because you need to pay your rent and you yeah. need to support the project and you need to like, mm-hmm. you're, you're always thinking about where's the next dollar coming from? Where's the next opportunity coming from? You know, like, Sometimes, you know, really stupid shit that I've done has also led to some really great opportunities. So it's like you never know which one is going to be like super beneficial in the end or not. But like you can also, you know, go against some of your personal morals and ethics for the for the sake of paying your rent. Right. So like for me, 
I'd always, you know, Into It Over started as a studio project. Um, I'd never really been in any full-time bands prior to that existing. Like even the bands that I was in, in, you know, back when I lived in New Jersey, Philadelphia, were still mostly casual. Like we were, they weren't really full-time bands. Like people had jobs and, and partners and stuff like that. And they weren't really ready to, you know, commit to the road full-time. And so I'm really digging now the balance of having a professional career that I appreciate, that I really like, and I like the work, as well as being able to create and work on, um, you know, art projects and and re- record records, write music, and uh, not have to be so concerned about taking that as like a full time priority, like not having to go super, you know, balls to the wall with it, or like commit myself more than my mental capacity could stand. So my mental health is so much better. <laughs> my physical health is so much better. And I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not the same person I was in my twenties, which, you know, for better or for worse. Um, but you know, I guess that's, you know, like fucking what Blink-182 said it. So, so great. Right. Like, I guess this is growing up, right. That's the, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. yeah. And I, I've always done the, uh, music life slash work life balance. I've always worked full-time jobs. Sometimes I regret, I'm like, oh, I should have focused more on music and I should have tried to do that full-time. But I mean, the past is the past, but now being in a band is a pain in the ass. I, I tried. <laughs> I tried to get one together a couple years ago. We managed to get the EP out, but it, it's it's very, very, very difficult. And your at least my patience for certain things decreased as I got older. So the fact that we have this podcast now is great because I can do it from home. I get to connect with all the artists I love. It keeps me really busy. It's super fun to do, and. I can do it around my regular job. So yeah. it's, it's the, it's the perfect balance right now. Yeah. I mean, that's not to discredit the stuff that I've done either. Like I, I mean, I've created memories from years of going at it full time that I will never forget. And they're like, I'm so glad I did it. I can say that I went and I did it and I pursued it with everything I had. And, you know, I'm just, uh, the excitement of that grind had worn out for me. And I think if you, if you push beyond when the joy fades you'll begin to push into resentment for what you're doing in the first place which yes yeah and then that passion just the passion fades immediately immediately and then you hate it you know and i never wanted to hate it i just wanted to like i wanted if it was going to suck or if it was going to make me feel a certain way or make or drain the life out of me or make me feel sad i just would i just needed to take a break and um thankfully you know i took a break starting around 2017 and um, the beginning, it was actually like just after Trump won the election. It took a, started taking, that's when I got my job. So I started taking a break right around then. And, um, you know, now I'm at the point where I'm ready to begin to, uh, reinsert myself into focusing on personal musician music projects while mm-hmm. not, while not having to do it 11 months out of the year. Yeah. <laughs> or I could do like, I, and I mean, you know what, I, I've, I've confessed this to a few people. I'll confess it here too, is that I'm actually somewhat relieved that there isn't a touring economy right now, you know, which it seems such like a weird thing to say because I don't, I'm not relieved for my friends who are like actually trying to really, you know, who are wanting to be on the road and have lost tours and have lost income. Like that fucking is is awful. Um, For me personally, you know, and I'm only speaking for myself. Like I, the fact that I don't have to worry about performance right now and I can focus on creativity and, the things that I really love about being in a band that's um, selfishly, you know, is like, well, you know, shit, 
you know, <laughs> cool. Like I, I'd, I'd love to come up with more creative ways to promote records and talk about them. You know, like that to me seems more fun and fulfilling just to, for where I'm at in my career. Yeah. Me, for me personally as well, it's been a bit of a relief because I, I just have a lot of anxiety in general. So for all social interaction, most, all right, for most social interaction to be taken off the table, like I, I live in an apartment by myself in Williamsburg and then I'm at my girlfriend's place on the weekends and there's little things here and there, but that's it. All, it's all I, all I got to do is that and all I got to do is this and all I got to do is go, is go to work. So a lot of social visits and vacations and all this stuff has been taken off the table for now. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to enjoy the reduced schedule for now. Right. You know what I mean? I wish so desperately that, you know, like the, the earth feels like, like we mentioned earlier at the beginning of this podcast, it's like the series finale. It's like a dumpster fire, you know? And it's yeah. like, it's just, uh, it, um, you know, so desperately w- wish I could blink and things would go back to normal. Like we would just wake up from this like nightmare that we're in and, um, you know, and I'll still be very motivated to create positive change for this, for the country, you know, not, this is more, uh, me referencing COVID specifically than, um, mm-hmm. than anything else, but yeah, we're getting into a dark tangent. I don't know if we want to get yeah, like, no. going. <laughs> I want, I, I'll, before I shift, I'll say this. I hope the pendulum swings back the other way and we start to see some more brightness because just in general, people seem to really be struggling even a lot of people in my life there's just it's just like every day someone is messaging me with something going on and i my heart just feels really heavy because i think people in general everywhere are really really struggling and i i you know i would like to see some relief for everyone and uh, you know it's gotta it's gotta swing back the other way so i'm anticipating that here's to hoping yeah yes yeah for sure so evan now doing this podcast uh you know we, we we focused on our scene in Bucks County and Philadelphia and surrounding areas, but I was so unfamiliar with those surrounding areas. Like New Jersey may as well have been another country. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> I I did not go to many shows there. I did not know many people there unless they came over to Bucks and Philly to be in bands and stuff. So I I wasn't even aware of you uh for a while, but I'll get to that. So tell us about growing up where you grew up in Jersey and kind of your entrance into the scene. So my, I grew up in a town called Cherry Hill. So if you're okay. in, if you're in Philadelphia and you cross the Ben Franklin bridge into New Jersey, you go right through Camden and then you're right in Cherry Hill. Cherry Hill is like pretty much the next town over. It's uh, yeah. you take route 70. This is like the Jerseyest most fucking shit ever. You go through route 70. <laughs> if we want to make it more Jersey, you pass, I think three to five Wawa's and you get to, <laughs> you get to Cherry Hill. And so, um, you know, I, I grew up in Cherry Hill. It was very easy for me to get into Philadelphia. We had a train uh, called the Patco train, which takes you yes. right, into, right into downtown. Like I think like the last stop was like 15, 16 locust, but my, um, or 18, 19, actually it's like right by Rittenhouse square. But so my, um, my introduction to the scene actually was somewhat through Bucks County because we had a church uh, kind of near where I had grown up. And when I was in middle school, so like seventh grade, this would have been 1997 or 98, mm-hmm. um, 97, I think. 
so at this point, I'd already been in a band. The, the band that became The Progress had already existed. And we were called J.A.R., which was, uh, we were named after the Green Day song of same name. Yes. And um, we had, you know, we'd started the band in the fifth grade and we were like learning how to play our instruments together. And, um, you know, eventually when we got to high school, we changed the name and that's when we put out the, the first record. But um, there was a church in my town and it was called the Ashland Church. Um and so the Ashland church was this place that was, just, it was basically like they'd have an all ages night every single Friday and they'd have bands play and they'd either be local bands or touring bands or just general weird art stuff, like just kind of whatever they could book or, or put together. And uh, it was free. And so you'd, you'd go and you'd watch a couple bands and then the pastor who was like this cool, like hip youth pastor would come up on stage and he'd give you like a little spiel about how God was cool. And then another couple bands would play. And so my friend Doug, Doug Tate was his name. Mm-hmm. Doug had, Doug knew that we were, that me and a couple friends were into like counterculture. Like I was really into grunge, you know, and I like uh, knew who Sunny Day Real Estate was and like, you know, like, I like basically found out Sub Pop and then was like, I got to hear every Sub Pop band ever. And so yeah. uh, it's like this little kid and Doug's like, yo, like we're doing shows at my church. Like, do you, do you want to come to our church? It's every Friday. It's free. Like, you know, I'll be there. And like, it's, it's really cool. Like you should come check it out. It's like, okay, cool. So my dad drops me off and the very first show that I wound up seeing at this church was Nora and this day forward. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That flyer either was posted on our site or will be. It's, it's in like the backlog of things to post. Wow. Yeah. So I, yeah. Okay. So I go to this show and this day forward plays and it like, and this was like early this day forward. Like this is like the demo, you know? Yes. And, uh, and so they play and I'm like, this is the coolest fucking thing I have ever seen. Like watching them play. And that as one records had their like little distro table set up and i Keith I, Nolan. I, I bought i bought the uh i bought the this day forward tape and then i bought the um which i don't know where that is now it probably got lost in the fucking move but i got it i got the this day forward tape i got uh this band phil or no trading places was the other band which was a, a jersey like actually a cherry hill hardcore band who the drummer for that band is was jared shabelson who's the drummer in paint it black and um he also drums for like fucking seal. He's like, you know, but, but he was, wow. he was the drummer of that band. So I got the, 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 this day forward demo, the trading places demo, the Nora split with Dillinger escape plan. And yes, the, uh, Samsara cassette. Do you remember what the Samsara cassette was? No. no. So Samsara was like the prog rock, um, like fucking, uh, they had a female singer and it was like, Super like uh, new agey prog shit that fucking Chris Penne and Ben from Dillinger Escape Plan were in. Oh, sure. wow. <laughs> and so they were, but it like doesn't sound, it's like not heavy at all. It's like, to- I should fucking rip MP3s of this cassette because I don't, I've never been able to find anything on the internet about it since. And uh, I'll send you a photo of it after this podcast is done so you can take a look at this thing. It's it's The, the tape's called Watercolor Rain. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> but so, yeah, we got we to gotta rip that and get it up on the site. Oh, yeah. For oh, real. For sure. it's, it's wild ass. But so I see the show and I was just like, you know, to Doug at the end of the night, I was like, I'm coming to these every Friday. Like, yeah, I don't care who's playing. And so every single Friday, we just went to the Ashland Church basically until – um, you know, and there were a lot of, there were like a lot of South Jersey local bands that we kind of followed after that because like J.R. wanted to get in with all these bands and start playing shows. So there was like this band called Coside. There was a band called Gene Pool, which kind of sounded like, um, like Nirvana a little bit. 
Um, mm-hmm. The band that really kind of like changed how we looked at our local scene to me was up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA start. Yes, they are excellent. Yeah. An so, old coworker turned me on to them and yeah, they, they were, yes. Awesome. So that was, that was the band that kind of like changed our perception of what like local music was. And it mm-hmm. was, and it wasn't just because of them because we loved the band, but also because Steve ran a studio. And so it was like, Oh shit, like we can go record it with Steve. Like, mm-hmm. and so everything, once we got hit to that, every band I was ever in until I moved to Chicago recorded at, any number of Gradwell studios that existed. There were like three different locations and I managed to record in all of them. But yeah, that was kind of the intro. And then once we got older, dude, there at that point, we'd already kind of discovered who these bands were. And then like you're in high school and so you're sharing all this cool shit with your friends. You're like, I saw this band, you got to hear this tape. And so you play the tape and then you find out that like, you know, the big one was we found out This Day Forward was releasing, um, they put out Transient Effects of Light and Water. So we were like, okay, we got to go to the record release show for that. The record release show for that was at the Kill Time. And, and I had to, we had to get my parents to drop me off at the kill time. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Now, how did they react to that? Because if my, my parents would have dropped me off there, they would have been like, no way. Like <laughs> that's, uh, I think they, they initially drove up and cause it was right by the new angle lounge too. So there was like some oh, yeah. wild shit happening right by the new angle lounge. And, <laughs> you know, so like, you know, they see that happening and we get out of the car and thankfully it was like me, my buddy, Mike, who sang in the progress with me, our buddy, our other buddy, Mike, who was in funeral bird with me. And, um, I think our friend Will, who was just like a dude. And so uh, thankfully we were like in a crew, but yeah, it was, it was like pray for rain this day forward. Um, poison the well. As uh, we grow. I, I played bass in as we grow. So I, did you know that? No, <laughs> I did not know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So when, um, so when the last demo came out, the three song demo, when uh, Nick took over singing duties from Sam, Mm-hmm. I played bass for, I think I joined playing bass. We played like two or three shows and then Bob quit to join a life once lost. Yeah. And that was it. And so I, I got to play, like I did the demo release show with the, the three song last demo. And it was at like some South Jersey VFW. I don't even remember now. And the, if you have it, it has like this like blood splatter paint on it. And that was actually me who'd painted those in my driveway. So oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, basically my basically my only basis for New Jersey bands at that time was as we grow. Like that was it. There was a there was like a lost demo that they had that Sam sang on or that he hadn't sang on yet. It may have just been like instrumentals that were like needing Sam's vocals on them. And there was mm-hmm. a song called like Snow Falling on Cedars and there was like two or three other songs and I used to have the MP3s for those and I don't have them anymore. And it, that to me was like my favorite era of As We Grow. It was actually the era before I was in the band. Sam's last show was at this place called the Gibson House, which was a a uh, like a golf course rec center. It was like it was like a rec center attached to a golf course. And it was in Marlton, New Jersey. And uh, yeah, that, they were one of my favorite heavy local bands. Um, but yeah, that was basically my exposure. I mean, once my parents were cool with us, like – to be fair, I had some really, I've, I had, I have some really awesome parents. They were, they, uh, played, they met playing in bands. They were very familiar with like the, the kind of being in a band attitude and like the, you know, going to shows and supporting local art. And so for them, me and my friends who were straight edge, you know, being like, we want to go to the punk show, you know, like, or the hardcore show or whatever. They were like, so relieved that that was what we were doing instead of like, going to, you know, the drug party or like somebody's fucking weird basement or something. But then little did they know just like how 
unbelievably like violent and wild some of those shows would get. <laughs> We're, like, Especially back then. Oh yeah. dude. Yeah. It was it was crazy. Hardcore in the early the late nineties, early two thousands, like I, I feel like no no young kids will quite know exactly how gnarly it could get. Yeah, because yeah. I go to a show now at St. Vitus, and I'm like, I, I feel like I could act like a tough guy if I wanted to now, here. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, like, but like back back then at Planka Park and Stalag and Kill Time, I was like, I'm just going to stand in the back and try not to get killed. Yeah, what was, the show, what was the show where the dude swung from the chandelier? Was that the a Life on Slash show? That was a that Life was on Slash. Ele- yeah, Palanca Park. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that was... Uh, it wasn't during a Life on Slash, though. Um, no, it was. It was? I, they, it, they played that song. Remember the track you talked about with the guitar opening? The oh, just, it, just yeah. it was that. crucifixion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember there was a show there specifically too where Converge played "My Great Devastator." It was the only time I'd ever seen them play that song, and that, and that was like the room erupted. It was just like, it was like them with like Alexis on fire and Hopecon. I think Hopecon played. Yeah, that was a fucking awesome show <laughs> that 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 brief era of converge is my favorite yeah. live shows i've ever seen them play it was when they had that drummer from virginia and they put out the split with agoraphobic nosebleed and yeah. those songs came out those songs were unbelievably good and i i mean i still like them today but at that time they played the most well-rounded set they got they had caring and killing stuff they had petitioning stuff they had uh what's the one after that uh Oh my God! Do I have to go to my records now? It's when when forever comes crashing. That's yeah. my favorite. Yeah, and and songs from the split as well. And they they spanned everything. They were just awesome. Yeah, so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you play Locust Rain, I'm I'm in. Yeah. Sign me up. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would go off for that or uh, uh, track four from When Forever Comes Crashing. The, oh yeah. Uh, this time it's War Song. Oh, concubine. Yeah, yeah or a conduit. Not concubine. Conduit. There yeah. We go. Yeah. Which is so, yeah. it's, it's strange for me because like my, really like my, I was really into grunge, like still to this day, Pearl Jam is probably one of my favorite bands of all time and yeah. such a dork for that shit. But like my real, my gateway into emo was really spawned from going to hardcore shows. And so, yeah, which like, even though like there was kind of this really weird roundabout way of getting there, but like. The, if I hadn't started going to hardcore shows first, like if I hadn't gone to the church and seen this day forward play, then I would have never, I don't know what the gateway would have been for me to like really dive into being like going to like VFW shows or like stuff at the first Unitarian church or, you know, anything like that. So, you know, and then you'd go to these shows that would be like, uh, we had a place called the Marlton VFW, which was like a really, a really popular spot. And they would, what was so awesome about, the Northeast scene at that time, especially was the mixed bills that you would get. So you'd have like, you know, maybe a hardcore band or two and, or like a heavier band. And then also like a super cool, like chill band. And then, you know, uh, maybe something kind of like techie, mathy indie stuff, you know, like it was never the same set of bands over and over and over again. You'd always have like a variety of different shit. Um, I really miss that aspect of shows. I yeah. wish that you could still see like Texas is the reason and Snapcase and like yeah. I don't know cancer conspiracy like all on the same bill. Yeah, there was a, there was a flyer pa- being passed around here the other day. My friend Drew sent it to me. It was it was about something that uh, was a show in. I'll actually I think I have it on my phone right now. I'll pull it right up. But he um, he played in the band Weekend Nachos, 
And he's, yes. been, he's been around the Chicago scene forever. And he sent me this Chicago hardcore festivals from December, 1997. And the first day is, uh, by the grace of God, braid, get up kids, Jimmy Eat world. And then the second day is all out war, mush mouth, no reason <laughs> brothers keeper, damnation, AD tw- 25 to life. And then the next day is, uh, earth mover, harvest, burn it down, extinction, race trader and culture. <laughs> wow. It's just like, what is That's this beautiful. festival? <laughs> this is insane. Um, but yeah, so fucking cool. And I mean, I'm sure you've all seen that flyer. That was like the one at CB's where it's like Spaz and Charles Bronson with like Braid and the get up kids all happening in the same matinee. And you're like <laughs> that, that used to happen, you know, like that doesn't happen anymore. No, but so we need to get back to that. Yeah. So that, you know, being like a, this, this, you know, for all intents and purposes, generally somebody who's played in, you know, majority like indie emo bands for most of their life, really the, like, I have just as much passion for, you know, punk and hardcore. And so that's like, uh, I think that's something only people from the Northeast really, really have. I haven't witnessed it as much out here. Yeah, it must be a Northeast thing or a East Coast thing, because I had the same trajectory. I was really into grunge and hip hop. And then segued right into really abrasive metalcore, and that was all I listened to. And then somehow emo snuck in, and then that was all I listened to. And then post rock after a number of years, and then that was all I listened to. And now it's all just mixed together. You know, and what's funny is like that that had actually like I wound up playing in As We Grow, and I got to wound up being in Up Up Down Down for a while, and I wound up, um, you know, playing in these bands that meant a lot to me and still mean a lot to me. And so I was very fortunate in that regard. And I think it's just from, you know, you could put the work in out in the Northeast and, and see return from it. And I think that was uh, really eye opening. And that's probably why I, I like, you know, for example, like got my, um, I graduated high school and I got a, uh, like a money to go to college. Basically. What do they call that? Scholarship. Scholarship. Why was I fucking blanking on that? So I, I haven't had that much wine. Jesus Christ. So I, had a, so I got a scholarship and I basically took my scholarship money and I bought a van with it. <laughs> nice. I was like, I'm not going to college. And they were like, what do you mean? I was like, I, no, I got to, I got to do this thing instead. And, um, yeah. And I, I'd actually been, I was accepted to Drexel to do a music marketing uh, music marketing course, which was actually run, I didn't find out until way later, which was run by um, Darren from Jaytree. But so mm-hmm. I, I got accepted for this program and it came like up to the time when, you know, we'd be considering, you know, going to school. And I, I got a job working for a record distributor in South Jersey with, um, which was called Independent One Stop. It was also uh, punkstop.com, which was the two the two names for it. So, which is actually run by, uh, this dude, Joe, who ran Hellbent records and this guy, Rich, who ran knife or death. And Rich is now a cop. So we won't talk about rich, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but yeah, but Joe, Joe and Rich were like, kind of my, it was like, well, I don't need to go to school. Like I got the job doing the music marketing thing. Like, I'm just going to go do that instead. And that was just kind of my gateway into like getting even more ingrained with like what was happening in the, the Jersey, North Jersey scene. So how did you link up uh, with Pat Troxel? Now, he t- he told some amazing stories on his episode, and 
with you guys in Funeral Bird, and you you know you would just kind of roll up to shows even if you weren't playing and just play them. Oh, I, think, I think that was an amazing move. I mean, we were we were the worst. I, I like <laughs> seriously. Like I look back on my teenage years. I don't know how we weren't getting our asses kicked all the time. Like we were just like we would say and do whatever we wanted. We would fucking just yeah. Like we would roll up on house parties. We would drive around South Philly in our friends. Uh, in my van, no, we would drive around South Philly in my van with all the fucking funeral bird gear in the back, and we would just wait until we saw a house party happening, and then Pat would walk out. Did he tell you this story? He would walk out of the van, knock on the door, and someone would answer the door, and he would go, "Oh yeah, we're the band." <laughs> and no, he didn't tell us. And that one. And, and, the, and the people, the whoever answered the door was usually never the person the, whose house it was. And so they would always be like, "Yeah, come on in." And so we would like load into a house, like a South Philly house party, with full stacks, <laughs> and just like play our like fifteen minute ridiculous set. And every, like somehow everything would get destroyed and then we would be like, cool, thanks. And then we would like load out all our shit and drive away. It was, we were ruthless. And so, and that was actually like a trick that the tricks that I had learned from the, the kind of Willow Grove crew were tricks that I carried for years long after I had stopped playing in that band. It was like, you know, you could go on an entire tour and not book a single show beforehand. You could, you could just find out where other shows were happening and roll up and be like, oh, my show got canceled and uh, we found out about this one. And, you know, we only have like our, our set's only like 15, 20 minutes long. Is it cool if we like set up in front of another band and just play on the floor? And eight out of 10, they're always like, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's just load in. You can play first. You're like, okay. You know, and then you roll in and play first. And we like, we would start joke bands and do trips to places like, okay. So you may have seen that Hum just put out a new record, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yep. So in 2003, Hum did a reunion at Furnace Fest. It was like their first show in, you know, 15 years, I think, at that point. And so right. me and some friends, uh, this dude, Mike Howard, who you should probably also interview. He was in Funeral Bird also, but he also played in like Ladder Devils and he was in Fight Amp for a really long time. And, um, you know, he's a tattoo artist now, but he's played in a, tons of different bands. Um, he's just a great, a great fucking drummer, really great guy. And so me, Howard and our friend, John started a band just to go to Furnace Fest and see hum. And the, <laughs> and the idea was we would, we would try to play like three shows down and three shows back. So we didn't really have to pay for our trip because we were, mm-hmm. so, we were so broke. Like, I, I don't think any of us had jobs at that point. That was what like spawns bad ideas like this, that you would have at like your local diner. And so, and so, you know, we, we recorded a demo, we wrote like six songs, we recorded a demo using a boom box. So we played live and just recorded it into a boom box and then dubbed cassettes from the cassette we'd made with the boom box and, uh, made art for the demos. We made, uh, buttons. I used to have a button machine. So we made buttons and then we like screen printed shirts in my parents' kitchen. And, uh, and we're like, cool. We found out about like four shows that were happening on the way down to Furnace Fest. We found out about a show happening in Birmingham, Alabama on the day of Furnace Fest. And we found out about two shows on the way back. And so we did that. We crashed every single one of them. And I think we wound up playing, uh, we wound up playing six shows in 10 days. One of them being the 
the festival that was happening in Birmingham that was happening like coincidentally with Furnace Fest at the same time. And the fest was called Fuck Furnace Fest. (laughs) 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 And they were the reason that they were doing Fuck Furnace Fest, it was at um it was it was at like the old Cave Nine. It was at like the old All Ages venue in Birmingham. And so we showed up and we were like, yeah, like we were supposed to play Furnace Fest and they they we showed up and like we weren't allowed to play. And you know, we heard that this was happening and you know like fuck those guys, right? And everyone was like like yeah, fuck those guys. You're like, okay, we're like, we only our, our set's twelve minutes long. Like, can we? Can we? Is it cool if we like load in and play and like just help us like you know sell some merch for the show or whatever? And they were like, yeah, like actually one of the bands dropped, so you can totally like come in and play the set. So we roll in, we play our fucking shitty set, and then we <laughs> we hang out for like twenty minutes. We sell like a few cassettes and and a shirt, and we're like, okay, see you later. And we like left, loaded up our shit, and then drove right over to first. <laughs> hilarious and we like we roll up to this section that was like the band section and we're like let's just see if this will work so we like pull up to where like the band load in area is and we're like yeah we're the we're in one of the bands and the dude like pulls out his clipboard and he's like flipping through the pages he's like uh what's your name and we said a name of another band that we knew was playing the festival and he was like all right cool yeah you're good and he's like pulled into like the the band parking wow and because we entered through that part of the festival, we didn't have to pay to get in. So we just walked into the main area and then we just stood like in the center of the crowd, you know, like nervous that we were going to get busted like the entire fucking time. But these were all, these were all tricks that were learned through the Willow Grove crew. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Did you, did you get to see Hum? We did. It was amazing. We saw, we saw Hum that day. We saw Hum, Caven, Hate Breed, Andrew WK. Uh, yes. Who else did we see that day? Um, failure. And uh, wow. wow. It was, it was that's wild. Cool. It was basically like the main day at Furnace Fest. And we saw that we just stood and watched the main stage all day long. And so that's incredible. And the show was over. We got in the van and we just started driving home, driving home. And we played two more shows on the way home. Just like showed up, pulled the same shit. And I think we that seems to be the recurring theme is like, like, look at that. You, you don't even have a band and you just create a band and just create a tour and you just do it. Like, like I always get so hung up on like, oh, it's not the right band or the right time or everything's not perfect or this and that. But you, you just did it. Yeah, you, yeah, you, with, that you took nowhere. imperfection and we're like, no, I'm just gonna fucking run with it. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's wild? I should I have cassettes still and buttons still of this band. And if we were on video, I'd show them to you right now. The band was called Alabama, and the joke was that because the show, <laughs> we had to go to Alabama, and it came up at the, we were at the diner making jokes about what we were gonna do and how we were gonna pull this off. And it was, and somebody who was at the table, I think it was our friend Jenny, she was like. I can't believe we're going to go to Alabama. And we're like, well, there's the name of the band right there. <laughs> so. That's beautiful. I like that the fest was named Fuck Furnace Fest, too, because I used to do party promotions in Philly, like DJ parties and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And my, my idea was to create parties, but just call them fuck, like the big parties, like fuck making time and fuck hands and knees. But I, I, I never went through with it. Dude, I haven't heard making time and hands and knees in probably 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> when did you move to Chicago and why did you move to Chicago? So um, in 2003, this is a really good, this is a really great story, actually. It's 2003, I graduated high school. And um mm-hmm. At that point, I had joined a band with uh, playing upright bass because there was a post on Centerfuse about uh, yes 
I can't. I could imagine you haven't done a single one of these interviews without Centrifuge getting mentioned. But so. well, this is the first time. Wait, Centrifuge may have been mentioned on the show actually, but I, I am an alumni. Tommy is not, but you know. Yeah, I had yeah. a computer. I had a computer back then, but I didn't. I just didn't get it. And it was so funny. The dude who ran Centrifuge ate lunch next to me every single day. Like fucking, <laughs> I was like friendly with him and everything, and I was just like. I just didn't get it, and it was like I, it seemed to be just this whole place where just drama happened. I was oh like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna oh, go yeah. skate. I'm gonna go skateboard. Fuck this. It was awful. <laughs> I, I'm sure I almost got my ass kicked a dozen or so times from that fucking website, and of my own of my own making. I did say say fucking. Well, generally, I would like stick up for people who are getting fucking like railed on by uh, like any prominent philly crew person at any given moment and then i'd fucking be like wanted for months and then it would yeah um i stopped posting for years because one day like i was a loud mouth on the internet and i couldn't back it up obviously so (laughs) one day i'm up there i'm there mixing it up and like just posting to some guy and he's getting mad and then uh my friend messages me she's like hey uh that's so and so and i was like (gasps) so (laughs) i like i disappeared for like three years (laughs) So I'm glad I didn't post in the heyday of Centerfuse because I definitely would have gotten my ass kicked. Well, so separate from the ass kicking part, I, <laughs> I found someone someone had made a post. Uh, this dude Jeff Ravazio. Jeff Ravazio mm-hmm. had made a post. He was in a band or starting a band and wanted an upright bass player. And I'd actually played upright bass all throughout high school and into my early like late teens and early twenties. And so yeah. I was like, oh, well, I, I own an upright bass. Like, I would love to join a band playing upright bass. That'd be a, a lot of fun. And so the band was actually me, this dude Jeff, this dude Matt, and this dude Shane. And Shane Shane McCauley was a, uh, like, renowned Philly photographer. He had done, he had shot the cover of the, uh, of a bunch of stuff that, he shot the covers of a bunch of things that were on J-Tree. Most notably is the Kid Dynamite cover where they're all wearing the football helmets that say punk across the, across uh, the Ah, yes. So he yeah. shot the photos for that. He was like an old R5 person that you know it existed in the scene for a long time old screamo dude and we we really hit it off and he was always he was like 10 or 11 years older than me so we kind of had this like older brother younger brother vibe and so um at one point you know it was it was the summertime and he wanted to go to chicago he wanted to try to take like a, a weekend trip in his car out to chicago and so he was trying to find people who would be willing to go so he um didn't have to drive the whole way there and back by himself. And so the trip wound up being me, Shane, Sean Agnew, and this dude, Kurt, who worked for R5. And, uh, and so they took me to Chicago for a weekend as a 18 year old on this like wild Chicago R5 adventure. And, um, and so, you know, they showed me around and I'm like this young, impressionable emo kid. And I like meet the Kinsellas and I'm like, you know, <laughs> you know, like, wow. I like going yeah. to all these like cool restaurants and bars. And I, or, or I couldn't really get, well, I couldn't get into the bars, but the person that we were there to see, her name was Andrea. I was a friend of Shane's and later became a friend of mine. Um, she also wasn't drinking. So we, her and I would hang out and just like cruise the city while they would go on like party or whatever. But it wound up being this awesome weekend and I completely fell in love with the city. And so... During the course of that trip, we met this dude, Brian. Brian played in the band Damage, but he was living in Chicago at the time. And uh, Brian needed someone to sublet his apartment throughout the fall, the upcoming fall. And so I had just decided um, that I wasn't going to be going to college. And so took him up on that offer and lived in Chicago in his apartment, which is actually two blocks from my apartment now. Uh, 
but I lived there for about four or five, four or five months, excuse me, while he was doing whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. So I basically showed up, paid him all the money for the apartment up front. And then I just hung out there and I basically went to the fireside bowl every night and like saw cool shows at the fireside bowl every day. And then, um, you know, hung out with a couple friends that I'd made here. And then I think like November, like Thanksgiving, Christmas time happened. And then I went home. But ever since then was like, I got to go back. I got to go back. I got to go back. So mm-hmm. I had had a couple relationships during that time in between this was the, you know, the difference of like 2003 to 2008. So I was back in Jersey, Philadelphia for like three, like four or five years. And, um, leading into when I started doing 52 weeks, which was the first Intuit over it record. Uh, I'd started that on my birthday, which was September 27th, 2007 mm-hmm. and made a commitment that like, if I can finish this entire project, I'm going to move to Chicago the second that it's done. And so sure, sure enough, I was able to finish the project. And then it was like October 1st, 2008, moved to Chicago. So that was one song a week, right? For yeah. The whole year. Yeah. So I wrote. Now, did, do you planned you planned ahead of time, I'm going to do one song a week yeah. until it's done yes. for the whole year. So I called up Steve. I called up Steve at Grabble and I was like, I have this idea. I was like, this is a fucking harebrained scheme and I need your help. And, uh, and he was like, okay, hit me with it. And I was like, I need to book the studio every Wednesday for the next 52 weeks. <laughs> and he's like, uh, what the fuck are you talking about? I was like, I have this wild project. I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish it, but I really want to try to finish it. And, um, and sure enough, like once we dove in, it almost became like a, like if I didn't fin the shame of having started it and not finishing it outweighed sometimes the, uh, the desire to maybe not be working on it because there was like the first, I want to say like the first 10 weeks were really hard. And then it hit this like, super smooth like week week 11 to like week 40 was just like a breeze it was just like you know we dialed in this routine we'd figured it out we figured out which days we needed to like you know if i if i had somebody playing drums on it or something like what days we would need to rehearse or like you know how i needed to plan my week so i had like lyrical content because you had to like actually go do stuff also or else there wouldn't be anything to sing about so like right there had to be a level of like social life work to pay for it. And then, uh, cause I had a job during the whole time. So I'd work, um, uh, during the day and oh, let me back up. Are you familiar with, uh, the Leonardo da Vinci sleep cycle? No. Oh, I think I've heard of this. Is this, this is like the two hours on like you, you, it's like a, uh, you like work for like two hours and then you like have like a cat nap and then you work for two hours, that kind of thing. Right. So uh, Tesla did it. Called, Tesla did it. It's called polyphasic sleep. I actually just had to Google it while I was on with you. So basically what I would do is I would, I would work, I would wake up at uh, like the latest time that I could wake up and still get to work on time. So it was like 8am wake up, drink a coffee, get in my car, drive to work, work from nine to five, come home, sleep from six to eight, wake up, eat dinner, and then either start working on the song or go out. Then I would come home at, I would go back to bed at like a, like three or four in the morning and then start my day all over again. So I would take, I would have actually have like two big sleep breaks during the day that were about three to four hours each and then Mm. be on for eight, the eight hours in between. So I did basically polyphasic sleep for a year while still going out and or working on music and was every Wednesday we would get together, we would record for like, we, we only had three hours to record and mix whatever we were doing that week. So a 
lot of what you're hearing on 52 weeks is the first take. It is the only take. Like <laughs> we wow. basically were like, good enough, you know, and just moved on. <laughs> so, you know, like um, I re-recorded, you know, this one song anchor has been re-recorded a bunch, but there was another song called 22 syllables, which we re-recorded a couple years ago. And like the re-recording of it is so much better, but like there's some real charm to just like how much we were able to do in a few hours. And some of those songs I look back on and I'm like, how the fuck did we do that? And it would, it would be like me with a drummer. We'd play everything one take to play the whole song. Then I would, I would be like, okay, roll me on another track. And then I would play all the second guitar in a single take. And then I'd be like, okay. And then I'd unplug the guitar and plug the bass into the same amp. And I'd be like, okay, now run me again. And I'd play all the bass. And then I'd unplug and then I'd like turn to my left and there'd be a vocal mic set up and I would just sing into the vocal mic. <laughs> like, that would be it. And then, uh, you know, that was basically the whole process for a year. But so we finished, wow. we finished that. And then, I, you know, at that point I'd had nothing holding me to fill your Jersey anymore. And, um, how old were you at that time? It was my 23rd year. So, wow. So I, I respect the drive. Cause when I was 23, my only focus was like getting fucked up as often as I could, like whenever I could. So, you know, just, just to be able, that young and to be able to be that focused on something you love, I think is awesome. Well, I didn't start drinking until I was 23. Oh, wow. See, that helps. Yeah. So I, I was yeah. actually, uh, I was straight edge until I'd, I'd actually broke edge at my mom and dad's 40th wedding anniversary. And they'd, uh, they'd, they'd had, they poured champagne and that was me, me breaking edge was having champagne at that anniversary. How was it? it's fine. It's like, it's fizzy grape juice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, and uh, you know, for, and for a while I was like, we know when I first started, I, you know, and I don't know if you guys ever were straight edge ever. I assume, I kind of almost assume like if you were into hardcore and you went to shows in the early two thousands, you were straight edge for at least 15 minutes at some point. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, when I, when I broke edge, finally, it was like, I'd never had a sip of alcohol my entire life at that point. And, um, you know, I was like, I'm only going to drink like the best shit, you know, like I'm only going to have like, <laughs> the nicest beers, you know, like I waited all this time. If I'm going to, if I'm going to drink, I'm going to do it right. And for a while I really did that. And then like cut to me, you know, a year and a half in and it was like, you know what? Miller Lite is actually like what I want. <laughs> yeah. Everybody makes that, everybody makes that, that curve. Like I went through like, I'm only drink craft beer and Grey Goose. And then you, it's like, you get down to like, all right, I'm just drinking Coors Banquet out of the can I left on my nightstand. Like nightstand. <laughs> uh, now, I was straight. I was not straight edge in the early days. I I never was straight edge like in early hardcore, and I just dabbled in whatever. But I became straight edge later in life out of necessity because uh, I I used to have some problems. Let's say that. But everything's under control now. Yeah, I mean, these days, it's like I, I, you know what? And actually, I, I'd almost, I've gone through bouts of quitting drinking as well. I mean, I think like uh, beer in general doesn't really do me a whole lot of favors. Um, it's, you know, I usually either am gaining weight or having headaches all the time or, you know, yeah. so shitty. Um, during quarantine, I've actually gotten a wine subscription, which I highly recommend. I highly recommend. It's like a, if you have the bougie capability in order to do it, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. Um, but the second quarantine's over, I'm going to cancel that shit. And, uh, <laughs> and I actually discovered my relationship with weed not too long ago. Like maybe like, oh, really? like probably like 20, 2015 was when I like actually decided or like realized how much I enjoy, uh, you know, the recreational effects of marijuana. And that's been um, a, a game changer in terms of just like not being hungover and not gaining weight and just feeling better about myself. And, um, you know, and I'm not like, you know, I'll maybe 
gets stoned like once or twice a week, but it's like, you know, now that it's legal here in Chicago too, it's made it a whole lot easier. And, uh, it's legal there now too. Yeah. It's recreationally, uh, legal here. When writing 52 weeks, did you ever slack? And then you had to like jam two songs into a week? No. And there actually wasn't anything, there wasn't anything written in advance. So the only, the only song on the entire thing that had a little bit of extra lead time was the first one. And then from there, everything is written literally that week, which, um, you know, and that's, and that's, what's so interesting about songwriting in general. It's, I mean, it's like anything else, it's a muscle. So like the more you're doing it, the better you get at it and the more natural it is. And like the more you begin to realize like, Oh, like not every single song needs to be like this grandiose statement. Like you can maybe just say what you need to in like 30 or 40 seconds, which some of those songs are maybe only like a minute and 20 seconds long, you know, but some of them are five minutes long. So it's like, there's, uh, it definitely got, that's what I mean about that sweet spot in the middle. It like kind of hit this stride around week 11 and that carried me through most of the project. And then it got to like week 40 and it was like, okay, let's just be done with this. <laughs> so, like, you know, typically I recommend when people listen to that project, I'm like, listen to the, the, listen to the first disc. Like the first disc is way better. The beginning of disc two, like if you have the CD, the beginning of disc two is pretty good. And then it's just like, once you get to like 45 though, like it's, it's over. I think that's the album where I, the first album of yours I heard. And yeah, you, I found my favorites and I stuck with those. And I, it's amazing how many people were in the scene and around that, that just, we didn't even know. And like, we didn't interact. And I first became aware of you, Evan, when, uh, everyone, the band, everyone everywhere had their record release show. at oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What a good show. Yeah, for the first LP, and you opened that, right? Yeah, well, you know, honestly, you know, this kind of harkens back to the uh, to the fucking funeral bird thing, but I kind of like jumped on that one last minute. <laughs> yeah, because you just you just played acoustic, right? Yeah, it was kind of like I happened to be in town, and they found out, and they were like, "Oh, do you want to play?" And it was like it, there was no plan for me to play; like it wasn't like an official thing. It just happened, wound up working out. At least that's how I remember it. I don't I don't remember it being so official. And I absolutely loved that band. So I was looking forward to that show. And, and I remember seeing you at the show and you had a quicksand shirt on. And I was like, hey, nice shirt. <laughs> nice. <sir. laughs> yeah. It was a nice shirt. What happened to that shirt? I actually don't even know what the fuck happened to that. Um, I mean, really, the band, the band that carried me through the, uh, the Northeast stuff, though, like generally was like the touchstone for that era of my life was the progress. That was really like the band that we had... Um, you know, that I kind of identify with that chapter in my life. And, you know, even into it over it, like into it over, it really never was like, a. it was never really like a, a Jersey thing, even though it started there. Like it always, yeah. always just felt a little detached. And like, by the time it actually started like picking up steam and becoming a real project, I'd already planted my feet here. So, um, I've attached a lot of Chicago to what into it over it's become. And I'm with, in terms of like Jersey and Philadelphia, like, the the progress always kind of remains that staple up up down down too yeah so how did you end up back in chicago yeah i was in chicago for that fall and then yeah i mean once 52 weeks was over uh me and my partner at the time just basically packed up our car and and moved out here um okay yeah did you find it difficult to to get integrated with the music scene there because when i moved to New York in 2012, I had all these fantasies of like, I'm going to get involved in the scene and I'm really going to start doing more bands and all this stuff. And, it, uh, you know, I, I was in some bands, but it just balancing work and all this stuff. It just I don't know. It didn't become a, as big of a thing as as I had in my mind. So how was it for you getting integrated out there? You know what happened was I, I'd actually got here. 
I got here on, it was October and 52 weeks wound up coming out on CD officially the following June. So June, 2009. And so mm-hmm. when I, when I first landed here, yeah, like I, I wasn't really integrated at all. I'd had a few friends that I'd met before I'd gotten here and, you know, we, me and my partner at the time were kind of like just getting integrated and kind of feeling out the city. Um, but when I did move here, I was already playing bass for a band. Like I had just joined another band. So the idea was that I would, uh, you know, 52 weeks was wrapping up this band that I had just joined needed a bass player that were like old friends of the progresses. It was this band called Demira, which they were on equal vision. And it was like, oh, and they were old buddies it was kind of like, okay, cool. I'm going to join this band and I'm going to play bass. And that's going to be my ticket into like becoming a full-time touring musician because they just toured so hard. And that was the thing that I really wanted to do. And I wasn't getting that out of the progress. I wasn't going to do that with Intuit over it. Like I, I was like, cool, this is a band that's already established. They've got a booking agent. They've got a label, this, that, and the other thing. So I joined the band and immediately after joining the band, the booking agent drops them and the label drops them. And I'm like, okay, well I just fucking signed up for this shit. And I just had the band all moved to Chicago with me. They were like, okay, cool. Like we could all use the change. So like, let's move to Chicago. So we move out to Chicago and I'm playing in this other band. And, uh, you know, and we were kind of like meeting some people. I was meeting people through being in Demura because Dave, who was the singer in that band was like, he, you know, to Dave's credit, he really puts in a lot of legwork. He's, he's always on, you know? And so was meeting people through that, but, um, hadn't really like defined my own shit at all. And, uh, did a bunch of touring with them. Into it over, it was like sort of happening concurrently. Like I played a record release show in Chicago with everyone everywhere, actually. It was like everyone everywhere needed to play a show in Chicago. I needed to put a record release show together. So like the two of us played together, this place called Reggie's and uh, Bob Nana played too. It was a really good show actually. But so nice. um, played a record release show, but I, like, I wasn't taking into it over very seriously. And then one day, uh, you know, Demir had kind of been home and we were trying to work on new material and it wasn't really going that hot. And, uh, you know, I'd kind of gotten into like a little bit of a, a skirmish with Dave. We were like disagreeing about some songwriting decisions. And uh, there was a band meeting that was called. And so I go downtown for this band meeting. We're having this band meeting at fucking uh, Intelligentsia Coffee. It was like a downtown Chicago. And, uh, and if you ever show up to a meeting and everyone who's at and that meeting time is like, say, for example, like you're meeting at eight o'clock and you show up at eight o'clock and everyone you're meeting with is already there. No, oh, it's about you. Yeah, it's, it's something something bad's about to happen. <laughs> oh, oh man, yeah. So, so I walk in and I don't even sit down, and I'm like, "You guys are about to ask me to leave the band, aren't you?" And and they were like, "Well, like, sit down." And we're like, "Okay." And I'm like, you know, so we had this kind of fucking back and forth diatribe about why I'm being asked to leave, and essentially it was basically like, you know, um, I the, it was being positioned to us that we all had this creative input to the band. So, you know, with that being the position, I took that liberty of being like, okay, cool. I'm going to speak up about stuff that I like or don't like. And Mm -hmm. because I did that, I was asked to leave. So it was like, okay, you know? And so I leave, I actually leave that meeting and I text my friend and I was like, Hey man, like, you know, kind of bumming, like what's going on. And he's like, Oh, I'm at this show. Uh, I'm at the show at this house. You should come to this house show. It's in Logan square. It's at this place called summer camp. I'm like, okay. So I take the blue line train from the meeting where I was just asked to leave Demira to the Logan Square blue line. I walk over to this house show and it was uh, this band Native and this band Castavet. No, now Castavet are incredible. Tommy and I are huge, huge huge fans of them. So so that was, um, 
you know, I walk, I walk down into the basement. That's my first like DIY Chicago experience. Wow. And at that show, I met Nick who wound up being the drummer for Into It Over It for like, he was the singer in cast of it, but he wound up being the drummer of Into It Over It for like four or five years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that meeting was like the like touchstone meeting of me becoming like integrated with the Chicago music scene. Well, and that's incredible that it happened like right after the the breakup meeting with the band. And you you know it's funny. I had one of those meetings before. I was in a three piece band here in in New York, and you know I booked us a show. And like you, I was pretty outspoken, and I was getting us gigs, and I had ideas. And there, I'm like, guys, are we going to practice? Like the show's coming up, and they're like, uh, let's meet to talk about the practice. And I was like, uh, I was like, here we go. So, so I show up. And they're both late. So the guys kicking me out of the band showed up late. And one of the guys showed up like way later than the other. So I'm like, the band's over, right? The band's over. Yeah. And he's like, well, let's wait for the other guy. Other guy shows up. He's like, I'm like, is it done? He's like, yeah. I'm like, cool. So I just got up and like cleared my shit out and left. It was such a waste of time. You don't need to belabor this. Like, just tell me the truth. I was like, I'm not mad. When they kicked me out too, I was like, I wasn't mad. It was like, it was literally like the first thought in my head was, Oh, okay, cool. Now I'll just I'll just do into it over it now. Like yeah, like there wasn't like a you know it wasn't a bummer. I mean it was a bummer that like that felt like you know it, we were I was kind of misled in terms of what my contribution could be creatively and like maybe not and maybe not trusted creatively. But like at the same time, it was just like okay, like well, there's a silver lining here. You know, like you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose sight of that. And so yeah, you know, yeah, go to that. Then that's and this goes back to the conversation from like the very beginning of this podcast interview is just like you know some of the decisions that you make that could be just like the smallest little decision could lead to really big and amazing stuff and so like yes if i didn't go to that show would i have met this person who wound up being my like collaborative partner for half a decade you know like you know what i mean like if i hadn't been asked to leave that band would you know would that would that like course of events have gone so much differently in any other like alternate scenario. And so sometimes it's worth taking those chances or just doing that like random thing to see what will happen or what will come from it. And sometimes those results are really good. And sometimes those results are really bad, you know, and that's just kind of like the messiness of life, right? Like that's, uh, (laughs) Oh yeah. You, you never know what to expect. And that, that's why nowadays I take more risks uh, not, not like risks, risks, but I don't know. I try a lot of different stuff because you never know like what cool things you can discover. Yeah, you're like licking door handles. You're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> throwing myself in front of cars to see if they stop. You know, it's just, I got, you got to live, damn it. Now you were in a band with members of Castavet. Stay ahead of the weather, right? So, yeah. So actually that, uh, um, so Nick was always that, was always that guy. Um, mm-hmm. He was the drummer on the split with everyone everywhere. He's the drummer Mm -hmm. on the stay ahead record. He's the drummer on the Koji split. He's the drummer on proper. He's the drummer on the Owen split. He's the drummer on intersections. Um, But he was the singer and guitar player and cast of it. So, so yeah, stay ahead wound up being this project that came out of, uh, you know, we had, I'd gotten asked to do this split with my friend Koji and wrote five songs that were the stay ahead, that wound up being the stay ahead songs. But I wrote these five songs with Nick and was like, I think this is going to be my side of the split. And then we kind of thought about it a little more. And we talked about it a little more like these songs are kind of like maybe too aggressive for a 
split with Koji. Like, mm-hmm. like his stuff's more like singer song ready. And these are like kind of like upbeat, like punk songs, you know, and there was some back and forth about what we could do with them. Cause I, at that point I'd written these songs, but Nick and I hadn't started working on them yet. So I'd like showed up and was like, I have all these riffs, like, check this out. Like, this would be really cool. And the more we talked about it, we're like, this, these kind of seem like their own thing. So we basically started a band because we had these songs that didn't make sense for uh, this, this one split record. And at the time I was working at this place, I was working for Threadless. Do you remember Threadless? No, it sounds familiar. <laughs> what is that? Threadless was like OG internet. Like it was like a, basically it was like a crowdsourcing graphic t-shirt website where you say you were like a graphic designer and you had this really good idea for a shirt. Maybe it was like a pun joke or like just something like a really pretty shirt design or something like that. And you could submit your shirt design to this website. And then the user base of the website would vote on the t-shirt designs and whatever got the highest votes would actually get produced as a shirt. And so, you know, so, and this is like also such a rando thing because the dude who I was, I was working at this place called the alley. The, the alley was like a uh, uh, hot topic, but like a, a fucking small business version of hot topic. So, <laughs> so like imagine like not a brand that's in every single mall, but it's basically the same fucking thing. It sold like creepers and like cr- fucking cramps t-shirts and like, you know, <laughs> like a, yeah. a punk store of Chicago. Right. So like I got a job there. That was like my first job when I moved to Chicago. And the only reason I got that job was a connection through someone I'd uh, the job I'd had previously in New Jersey it was basically like a way for me to have something to do once I showed up here and they were cool. They were cool with me going on tour. So like when you're young and just want to tour full time, you're like any job that'll let me go on tour and come home and still have a job, like cool for me, you know, so work there, uh, get asked to leave Demira. So I'm not touring anymore. And then at that point I'm like, I can't fucking stand this job anymore. I need to find something else. So I play that record release show in June and I meet this kid named Matt, Matt, and I wind up becoming really, really close friends. Matt gets me the job at Threadless. I start working at Threadless with Matt. Nick and I are concurrently working on these songs. Matt's a really good guitar player. I ask Matt to play guitar. Matt joins Stay Ahead of the Weather. Um, we rope in our buddy Bobby, who was a native. Bobby plays bass. So it was me, Bobby, Matt, and Nick. Um, we record the Stay Ahead songs the same week that we did the Koji Split songs. So... Those are the same recording session. If you listen to both mm-hmm. of those records, it's exactly the same. Um, then uh, Bobby decides to leave the band. We bring in our friend Owen. Owen was in a band called Numenon. Owen became the bass player after that. Um, and we recorded like one other song. We did like one short tour and that was all Stay Ahead ever did. But from there, Matt became like my, a really, a really good friend of mine. We, we started producing records for other bands. So we did, uh, we produced two records for you blew it. We did a record for signals Midwest. We did a record for, uh, this band Annabelle. Um, and then years later when Donald Trump wins the election and I need a job again, Matt was like employee number five at reverb. Matt gets me my job at Reverb. Wow. <laughs> and then Matt was the engineer on the new Intuit Over record that's about to come out. He was, him and I, we basically built a studio here and we made, uh, me, him, and my friend Adam made that whole record together. Adam's the, wow. Adam's the new drummer. So this, this person that I'd met on this like off chance at this record release show becomes one of my longest friends who's helped me. Like I've brought tons of recording uh, jobs to him and he's actually given me two literal jobs to me. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, you never know what the connections you make, where they're going to bring you. And 
There, there was this big New Year's Eve show in Philly at the fire. I think it was like 2010. It was, I think it was maybe Intuit over it, Stay Ahead of the Weather, Everyone Everywhere, a bunch of other bands. Like I don't World, remember. World is played, maybe High Tide Hotel. Um, yeah. That show was bananas. Oh, Castavette played too. Oh, that's what the tour was. It was Castavette Stay Ahead. That was the tour. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that would have been, it would have been the two of us, Everyone Everywhere. I think maybe, yeah, World is and... It was it was definitely a five band bill. Way way too many bands. <laughs> yeah, no, but I wanted to see every band or at least four of them. But it was it was it was, it, it was my dream show at the time. That just every band was awesome, and you know I'm glad I got to see Castavet at least once. Do, are those guys are they defunct now? Are they doing anything? That was uh they they had, you know, and this is just uh you know I don't know the inner workings of of how that band totally fell apart, but. They'd had an entire another LP written, and oh. and during some of the last shows where I'd gotten to see them, they were playing all of those new songs, and the new songs were like fucking punishing. They were so good, and yeah. and they never got recorded. And it's just like this, like it's this like local Chicago myth, like tragedy that some people got to see it, and um, but at that point, like. You know, and I'm sure you've seen this too, like when you have a band that's like your favorite band and you can tell that things are like coming to an end and that people aren't like getting along, like the magic isn't there the same way that it was. Like there's maybe like inner turmoil between band members and like you could tell that like something was wrong. Like it didn't have this, yeah. it didn't have the same like magic quality to it because there were cast of shows that I saw that were some of the most like magical live show experiences I had ever seen. There was a show, yeah. there was a show we played together in Lincoln, Nebraska, in this house called the Ghost House, which was run by my friend Vic. And they do their whole set. They hit the last note of the set. It's like literally the last fucking note. And all of the power blows on the very last <laughs> note. So they hit this fucking huge, like cathartic note, and all the lights blow out in the basement. That's <laughs> like the most insane fucking thing I've ever seen. Like, how did it like build? Like, the power just couldn't take it. Like, the one more. No, it was like literally on beat. And then like shows where they play in Chicago and like loft spaces here and the police would be outside and they'd shut off all the lights in the house, but the band would keep playing. So you'd, you'd be watching the band and it would just be like illuminated by police lights while this band's playing in the, in the dark, you know, it's just like, that's awesome. The coolest shit, you know, like just this magical band. And um, yeah, once the magic was gone, it was, it was like, it was, uh, it was challenging and it was a bummer to like see that, that record never get made because those songs were super fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gentlemen and cast of it, if you happen to hear this, we are big fans and we, we implore you to somehow one day record those tunes so we can hear them. You know, and I actually work with Ron and will, they both work at reverb too. <laughs> oh, good. That's awesome. So you can, you can tell them to already, listen to this episode. I already relayed the message to them dozens of times. It's like, can't y'all just figure it out? Like, <laughs> Like, just I have it. an idea. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna get them all on the show. It'll be a panel thing, and I'll I'll work through it with them. Yeah, I mean, even before like you know, Nick and I haven't spoken in a really long time. But even even before then, I was like, yo, I will put up the money to just see that record get made. Like, yeah. if y'all can just hang out for three days and just do this thing, I will pay for it. Just please do it. And that offer still stands. And I. Nick and I, Nick and I haven't talked in like probably four or five years at this point. <laughs> so, so, yeah, like, wow! Like, you know, like I will pay for it to this day. 
Like just get together, figure it out. Yeah, I I really hope it happens one day. Now, you toured into it over it toured with one of my all time favorite bands. Texas is the reason for their oh, reunion yeah. shows. Mm-hmm. Now, I am I am a super fan of Texas is the reason. So, tell us how that came together and s- some of your experiences. They did a series of reunion shows in the United States. Mm-hmm. They had had uh, some East Coast stuff, some kind of like Midwest fly-in stuff, and then some West yep. Coast stuff. And for the East and West Coast, they it was Title Fight and I want to say Touche Amore. But it was like they wanted to get young bands in to do, to do these shows. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, they'd pick these two bands that could do like the local coasts or like the coast shows. And then they needed somebody who could fly in to do the other stuff. And at the time, uh, Norm was a mutual friend with uh, my management, I believe. I actually don't even remember necessarily how it came together, but it was very easy for me to fly in and do these random shows. And I'd actually Mm -hmm. had played a bunch of shows with Garrett at that point or had, Ah. or had like done stuff with Garrett. And so, um, cause he was touring solo at the time or no, actually I had done shows with Atlantic Pacific. Yes. And so yes. I, I played shows with Atlantic Pacific because we were both on no sleep and our records had both come out right around the same time. So I met Garrett and John, mm-hmm. John Hergoth, who was in, um, he was like a, a friend and played a bunch of other bands with those, like that kind of crew. And so, um, so I'd met Garrett and that was kind of my in with that gang they needed someone who could do these flying dates. It was like Toronto, uh, fucking Atlanta, and like somewhere else. So it was like so there was like three like really weird U.S. markets, and so it was very easy for me to just join and with a guitar and just fucking fly around with them and open solo for their for their shows. And so I did those three shows, and then they were going to Europe, and they asked me to open their European tour, and so I got to play the what was at the time supposed to be the very last show which was at the electric ballroom in london and i remember seeing that show and being like this is the fucking greatest shit and i remember saying to them i was like if you ever do another show you have to you have to invite me like i can't (laughs) you can't say this is the last show and then like like i'd be so bummed if you played another one and then um you know and then um the john bunch memorial yeah they played the john bunch show and so it was like it was like, of course you got to play that, right? Like, absolutely, you got to play that. And I was like, now, like, you have to play another show, so I can open that show and then play the very last show. <laughs> 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 yeah. But so, um, you know, Norm and I still talk, and and Scott owns this fucking awesome restaurant out in Portland, which uh, my girlfriend and I were fortunate enough to eat at before, um, before you know, quarantine hit. It was like last November, December. It's a place called Farm Spirit, and. Um, so, you know, he's doing his thing out in Portland and, and Norm's doing his thing in New York and, um, you know, and it's like, they're the best, man. Like it, I had nothing but great times hanging out with them. There was, it was nothing but a good vibe. Uh, it's, it's awesome kind of being around cause I was touring solo. And so I would travel with them. It wasn't like I was like, you know, in my own van or in my own car doing my thing and then like meeting up with them. I was like in their van with them. So I'm like witnessing that dynamic and the dynamic for the four of them i feel like is just you can tell that they're they are best friends who don't see each other all the time yeah so they like bicker and like kind of give each other a hard time but you can tell that they just have like a fucking blast when they're with each other so it was super cool kind of like getting just to see how much they love each other as a crew of people and um uh and just kind of experience that 
alongside them or like just as like a fly on the wall, you know, and um that must have been a that would be a dream come true for me cuz like Texas is the reason uh you've also played with Get Up Kids, Mineral, like these these are bands that like shaped my youth. These were the bands I listened to when I was heartbroken and going through first experiences and everything and so it just it must be so great to be able to play with them and to meet them and interact with them <laughs> I and mean, everything. For a while I I kind of gained this reputation of being like this fucking like if any old emo band was going to reunite that I would have to be the band that would <laughs> open the shows <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they became this like running joke and it was and it like it wasn't of my making like i wasn't like i wasn't going after these these tours like it wasn't like i was like i mean of course I, i'm happy to do it i love all these fucking bands so it's like it was it was awesome for me you know like and for the whoever was playing in the band at the time because we were all fucking huge fans but yeah it became being this thing like where like people were like dragging me on the internet because like i you know, oh, so and so's reuniting. I guess Into It Over. Come, I gotta see Into It Over again. You know, like all this shit. And I was like, I don't. I, I mean, they're asking me to play. What am I gonna say? No. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like you want to make you want to make fun of me for play opening for all of the absolute legends. This is like go right they, ahead. I didn't ask. Like they can ask whoever they want. I what, do, what the fuck? I, but I, I did kind of get this like stigma. Like like Into It Over kind of became the band that was like the go to band for any of that shit. Like, you know what I used to say? I I would be like, oh, uh, Evan is like the Todd Glass of emo reunions because you know how Todd, <laughs> you know how Todd Glass opens like every big comedian show. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, thankfully there haven't been any. You know, there was only there was only one band that we didn't really get out of the out of like the crew of legendary emo bands, and that was Cap and Jazz. I never got to open for Cap and Jazz. That was like uh. the that was the one I really wanted to, you know, because um, we got we got Christy Front Drive, we got Mineral, we got Get Up Kids, we got. Um, I didn't get Boys Life either. I guess that was the other one. <laughs> <laughs> you could but, still get Cap and Jazz. You've got an in with those dudes, right? I totally, but, they, but Mike's not. I don't think Mike's ever going to do that band again. But I don't know. Don't, uh, I'm not. Don't put me on the record for that. I don't. I don't know what the deal is. Ultimately, now, now can can you share why we love salacious details? No, 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 no. I'm not gonna. I'm not opening up the gossip. The gossip. <laughs> I had to try, but I, I think it all. It, the the peak, the peak of it all was, and this is not meant to be bragging, but I think like I will never open for another emo band again because I've achieved emo, uh, the emo status, like the ultimate emo status, which is that I got to play base for american football <laughs> oh wow really <laughs> so, now when when did this happen so uh nate had his kid his first son and it was january of 2017 and so there were two shows that got booked that were around the time that like nate was supposed to have his his firstborn and uh there was like kind of it was kind of up in the air like would nate be able to make the shows would nate be able to play um at the time you know american football and i were both managed by the same person that person was basically like hey evan could fill in on the duties he could learn the songs he's already very familiar with the catalog you know it'd be an easy, he's a bass player you know like this be a easy parlay so you don't have to cancel these shows because nate's having a child so uh initially it was supposed to be new york at terminal five and where i like fly in new york i like do a couple radio shows as the bass player with american football which is like most surreal shit ever and then <laughs> and then we uh we fucking get to the terminal five to do the load in and nate just shows up and he's like hey i'm here and we're like <laughs> we're like what 
<laughs> like, I go, what the fuck? Cause he lives in New York. So he's like, yeah, yeah I'm, he's like, I'm ready to play. He's like, all, all's good. And they were like, well, we don't want like Evan's already here. Like he, he learned all the shit. He's like playing the stuff. And so before the show at terminal five, I learned how to play all of the additional guitar parts that were on all the other songs. So at terminal five, like with like two hours worth of rehearsal time, I'm playing guitar, third guitar on stage with American football. <laughs> and then two weeks later, they were playing in London and that was the show that Nate actually couldn't do. But yeah, so that was, that was my emo, my emo peak. I can't come down from that. Um, now I got to ask, how do you learn all the songs? Like just before the show, do you know them all? So it's just a matter of like figuring out where on the guitar it is and then you can play it or is it, you know, cause like I know all, every Texas is the reason song. I know yeah. them. So if you show me where it's at on the guitar, I can do it. But like, how do you, how do you learn it all? Do you just have enough of, of that muscle memory that you can learn it real quick? Um, I knew the tunings. Um, I'm very familiar with open tunings, thankfully, because of so much of like what Up Up did and what Progress did and what Into It Over It's done. The show is at Shepherd's Bush, actually, and there's a, there's a video of it, um, which I can send you after this. But it was from it was from uh, February twelfth, twenty seventeen. But so, yeah, I mean, I basically was just listening to the recordings, kind of getting some intel from Steve and from Mike, who who uh, play guitar and you know, getting some clues into what to do. And then also just kind of like making shit up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like knowing, knowing kind of like what key the song is in and like maybe writing a, like a part or two around it. But there were also like parts where I didn't play guitar at all. And I would just like sing harmonies or do shaker or, you know, like, you know, any, anything that the songs would call for, because really there's so much happening in all that material that, um, you know, there's plenty of room to, to add textures and stuff like that. It was basically just a way for me to figure out something to do during that show. Um, but yeah, after that, I, I, please, I'm asking you, uh, don't, don't invite my band to open for your old emo band anymore. I've done it. <laughs> You're it. Done. <laughs> done. You know, like at this point, <laughs> at this You're point, done. I'm, at this point, I'm the old emo band and now I got to get young emo bands to open for me. I got to pick like one band as like the, the new, the new version of what I was maybe in the early or the early 2010s. <laughs> that's good. That's good. You got to pay it forward. And yeah, th- that's, we've talked about this on the show. That's a recurring nightmare I have where it's like, I'm at the show and the band is like, we're, we're on in 20 minutes. You got, you got to learn the songs. You got to do it. And I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. how am I going to do it? But, but you did it. And then all of a sudden your, your pants are gone and like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like your mouth just like, like, uh, like falls away from your face, you know, like that weird, like your teeth fall out, you know, like, Oh, oh I hate you. that. <laughs> that is, what a fucking weirdly profound, like that's one of those times where you're just like in the middle of it. Like I've woken up from dreams being like, I had to have known that was a dream. Why are my teeth always falling out? I just, and it's, it, it's seemingly like there's, I have ones where like I wake up and I, I, as soon as I wake up, I'm like, Oh my God, it happened again. It's a fucking same exact thing, dude. What the fuck? Like, how do am I this dumb that I'm falling for it every single time? Nowadays, I usually just dream about whatever I was doing right before I went to bed. Like, I I dream about like it usually involves like Call of Duty or Final Fantasy VII remake or something oh, like that. And I mean, the work the work dreams are are my least favorite. Those are the oh, ones God. where like fucking a, especially now it's like hard worse than usual because it's like all you do like you're beginning. I don't know about you guys, but I'm beginning to associate work with home. 
And so yes, now it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's definitely been a little bit of a challenge trying to like separate it, you know, and at five o'clock, like having to just be like, I'm done and turning my shit off, not answering emails anymore, you know, like setting those boundaries mentally, because otherwise I'll just be, I'll be like laying awake thinking about it. Meanwhile, you know, like Al, my girlfriend is just like fast asleep and she'll, so I'm like, I'm laying awake, like staring at the ceiling, thinking about every mistake I've ever made for the last 20 years. And, you know, she's like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so Evan, we have a new Intuit over it record that's coming out soon, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 talk about that. Cool. Yeah. So I've uh, I um, you know stopped. Uh, it, the record's called Figure, and it's coming out in September. Uh, officially coming out in September. It'll be out on Triple Crown um, in the United States. It'll be out in a label called Big Scary Monsters in the UK, and a label called Stiff Slack in Japan. And I haven't made a record, uh, new material in since well i haven't written really released any new songs since 2016 as into it over it and basically just needed some time to uh to step away essentially you know like the short version of the story and this is still like a long version of the story is that you know we were we were on this super long tour during the trump election or, or well during the election the the election and uh we were in berlin watching trump win in berlin and I think that was kind of a wake up call to all of us who were, you know, at the time, like 31, like I was, I was 31 or 32, Josh, the two Joshes who were playing in the band at the time were both around the same age. Rodrigo was a little bit older. Um, but Josh on that trip announced that he was going to be departing the band shortly after that election. And, um, you know, and I think we had it all kind of sent, you know, separate from him announcing his departure. I think we were all kind of feeling like, oh, fuck, you know, like we're in our thirties now we're living beyond our means you know, we have to come home and find new ways of income whenever we come back. None of us have health insurance, you know, like all of us, like the earth is about to change very drastically and we need to be somewhat prepared. And, um, and, you know, so we kind of came home and took a break. And, uh, during that time I went through a very rapid succession of changes, you know, like I'd, I'd come home, um, needed to find a job. Thankfully, very, very fortunate. Thankfully, Matt, you know, we discussed this, Matt helped me get my in with Reverb. We started working there. Um, but shortly after that, my partner and I of eight years broke up, which was oh. com completely of my making. It was my mistake, my, my fault. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, it was a very big uh, signal to just kind of like, I have to just like step back completely and yeah. really reevaluate, you know, uh, why I'm doing the things I'm doing, why I'm making the choices that I'm making, why, uh, how I treat people, how I talk to people, how I interact, how I conduct myself, how I conduct this band, how I conduct, um, you know, really everything. And so it just didn't feel, you know, there were pet symmetry was like somewhat active during 2017. And, um, you know, we we're a little busy, but like, it really wasn't like full-time busy the way that into whatever it was. And it was, and it was definitely me beginning to discover how much healthier, my life could be or how healthy I could be uh, not being a full-time touring musician anymore. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to make this record and, you know, at the time of Josh's departure, which was totally amicable, like he's still one of my best friends. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. You know, him and I were kind of like grooming who would be the next person to take the, the, the place of him. Cause at this point it would be like, he, Josh was, this is like, now I'm on like drummer number six or seven at this point. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so we, you know, there's this guy named Adam, Adam Beck, 
who, uh, you know, is an audio engineer here in the city of Chicago. I'd, I'd worked with them on the You Blew It, the last You Blew It record that we worked together on. And Adam's a phenomenal fucking drummer, great fucking human being. And, uh, you know, we, the very last full band show into it over played was, uh, we did like proper and full at the Metro. It was like January 12th or something like that, 2017. That was the very last full band over into it over show. And mm-hmm. so, um, we played the show and Adam's band opened the show. Um, you know, and him and I were watching Adam play and we're like, I was like, man, I really think like Adam might be the, might be the dude, you know? And like Josh and I were kind of talking about it and he was like, yeah, you know, like I think Adam's the right choice too, you know, no one would know better than Josh. And so, you know, Adam and I started talking and, you know, initially I wasn't sure if I wanted to work on new material, but like him and I started getting together and Adam was to his credit was really like, um, he was really motivating. You know, he's like, let's get together. Let's get together. You know, he like, he, he kind of put the pressure on me in order to like make it happen. And so, you know, against my, uh, not against my will, but definitely like, you know, he, he pushed me to a place where I maybe wasn't totally comfortable, but also I think where I needed to be. And, and, uh, you know, him and I started working on new material and it just felt really natural and really fluid. And we spent a really long time working on, we wrote about 30 songs and, uh, picked our favorite 12, which we thought fit really well together on a record. And, um, last year started recording it. We spent about seven months on the recording and, um, you know, brought in all these different collaborative forces from around the city, like different engineers. And my friend Andrew did like some synth stuff and my friend Lynette who did the art and, you know, really brought the city together, or at least like resources that we had in the city together to like make it what it was. And, uh, you know, and I haven't done, I haven't done anything in so long. It's like, it kind of feels like, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, like the feeling of being in a band again for the first time is a really irreplicable feeling. It's not a yes. feeling you can get uh, often, you know, and, and, and to try to recapture it can feel really uh, difficult to do. And, yeah. you know, and, and like, you know, we'd mentioned previously on this interview, it was just like feeling like I w- I'd gotten to a point with Intuit Over It where I'd begun, I was very close to beginning to resent it and kind of backed off right before, I, you know, I pulled the plug right before it got to that point. Um, where I'd feel like I, you know, was doing things because I had to and not because I wanted to. And so now I'm at a point with it where the relationship is so much healthier and I can do things because I want to do them and because I think they're fun and exciting to do, but not because I have to. I don't have to be on the road six to 11 months a year. I don't have to be playing a show and fucking... Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and that, no no slander in Oklahoma City, but it's like I don't, I don't want to fucking. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't need to be in Boise, Idaho, maybe ever again. You know, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> yeah. I, don't, you know, and so like, and and I love these plays, I love playing, I love performing, but it's like you know, at the same time, it's like I'm not, my I'm not mentally and physically built for that anymore, and so, um, and so being able to do it the way that I want to, being able to do it the way that works for me and feels healthy for me, and do it in a way that feels really positive and productive is much, much better. And that's kind of what this record's about. It's about, you know, like mental recovery, a little bit of reckoning in there and, you know, and and just about improvement, general, general personal improvement, which that's um, great. Yeah. It's, it's the, the last three years have been that for me as well. Um, A lot of introspection, a lot of self-improvement because my life, which I've talked about a little bit on here, my life used to be completely out of control. Like just out of hand. Yes, you, like not Tom, Tommy can tell you about that some other time. But just, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, <laughs> really, yeah, man, I've, uh... <laughs> I've really only started growing up 
over these last three years. And it's been a, it's been a real struggle, a lot of pain, a lot of rejection. But it, I feel I'm starting to feel like an adult and taking responsibility of my own life. And the band I was in two years ago, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the songs on that EP are are about that, just the struggles and, you know, getting my shit together. And when, when I write, it tends to be about loss and struggles and what whatever's going on at, at the time in my life in terms of like loss and struggles that that's that tends to be where my writing comes from but how about for you evan i mean yeah it's really i mean this this record specifically like i've uh i've never i've never really written a breakup record before and that's uh yeah. you know, ultimately what this wound up becoming it's just basically like it's less about that specific situation but more so about that year of redefining my place and where i am and where i feel how i feel about where i am um and so it kind of covers them like pretty much the entirety of 2017. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and for, for me, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about looking forward because I haven't written anything since then. Um, you know, there's plenty of yeah. leftover, there's leftover material, but I haven't written lyrics yet for as into it over it, which like, you know, I, I kind of segment myself mentally based on the band that I'm writing the lyrics for. So like Pet Symmetry, for example, I've been, we've been working on that record and I'm writing lyrics for that band, but that band is a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit more playful. You know, it's like, it's not coming from the same, like very direct and honest and confrontational place that Into It Over It would come from. So, you know, like if I'm working on Into It Over material, I'm going to be singing about the, like the deepest, darkest shit that's happening in my brain whereas like if i'm writing lyrics for pet symmetry i'm kind of trying to keep it a little more uh surface level a little more lighthearted. um yeah. you know maybe a little sillier you know so i haven't worked we haven't really written lyrics for new into it over stuff yet so i'm kind of curious what's going to happen when we start we start doing that because we have a whole nother record's worth of stuff kind of like ready to start working on right away um and so uh you know but then again i'm also just interested to see how this record is perceived. You know, I haven't done anything in a really long time and I think the songs are my strongest and I'm, I'm really proud of the thing that we made without having to like do shit, like thinking about how big our record budget was or like who produced it. Because like, you know, that's, I feel like uh, I used to get so hung up on that shit. Like, you know, like you gotta, you gotta find somebody who's like, you know, the cool producer. And it's like, yeah, that's really cool. You know, like it is cool to like work with, work with some of these people that made records that were really important to you. But like, also yeah. like, it's also cool to just like build your own fucking studio and do it yourself. You know, like that's yeah. also really cool. So like, I, I used to get hung up on some really surface level kind of like, I think um, just some really like surface level shit. And, and I, and I don't feel that way anymore. And I feel like the stuff that I've done, that's the best stuff that I've done is the stuff where we, where we have just been able to take control of it and own it. Um, and just trust ourselves, you know? And so I'm really excited for people to start hearing these songs. You know, it's been a long time coming. We've been working, we've been writing them since May of 2017. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, some of these songs at this point are like two or three years old, like the record's been mastered since November. So it's been, it's been done since 2019. It's been, just been like waiting to go. <laughs> and like, it was originally supposed to come out now. It was like supposed to be out now. And, uh, you know, when, when everything with COVID kind of hit, it was like, you know, that kind of became impossible. So we moved it to September. So, you know, now it's just kind of this, this like nervous, anxious feeling of like what it's going to be like to put out new material again. And I hope it goes really well. I mean, if, if five people dig it, cool. And if 
500 people dig it cool and if you know whatever <laughs> at this point yeah it's like, yeah i've been in that situation where you're waiting like the the ep i recorded we recorded it in september and my friend who was mastering it he's like yeah i can get it done i think in october or november and i was like what do you mean like we we have to do it now no so i can't i can't imagine like sitting on a record for like years like oh, yeah. just waiting waiting for it to come out it's been done and like and, and you know like people have heard it a lot of friends have heard it a lot of uh you know i definitely shopped it which also like shopping a record is the weirdest experience ever and yeah. you know which is so wild because triple crown who done the last two into whatever records like they're doing this one too and that was kind of always my hope was that they would do it and you know and uh it, it it definitely felt natural that that would happen i mean the only the only reason why they wouldn't have is because like my contract had expired you know like i'd, I'd already fulfilled it so like yeah but what's great about this one is you know i paid for everything i paid for all the, the making of this so we own it and that's what's mm-hmm. really great is that i you know Adam and I own the masters and we can do whatever the fuck we want with it. And that's awesome. And like I get to work with Fred, um, Fred at triple crown on like a, a very mutual respect basis. And like, he's working on this because he really likes working with me and I'm working on this with him because I really like working with him. And that's a much healthier relationship. Not even to say that our relationship was unhealthy before, but it's like when you know you're coming to a project from a mutual place of respect, that is like such a, a great foundation to work from. You know, like, yeah, the, the trust there is just really, really unmatched. And you're on Triple Crown, so you're label mates with Caspian. That's good company. Yeah, I'm also label mates with E Town Concrete. <laughs> All right, now, I, yes, I, Fuck I, yeah, that That's is. Fo- I'm, I'm gonna say this right now, t- hoping that it somehow gets willed into existence. Caspian, Intuit, over it, and E Town Concrete, all on one bill. I would, I would play that. In a I would kill I, to see that. And it's got to be at Club Chrome in fucking uh, <laughs> South Amboy, New Jersey. South Amboy. Yeah. Oh my god! I'd be there in a minute. It would. It would be so good. We love. Actually, we love Etown. I was, dude. At, at least once every other month, Keith and I will just send each other randomly a link to uh, the the song uh, "Mandibles" yeah. by fucking Etown because we just think it's. <laughs> It's fucking. It's a great song, first of all, <laughs> and it's fucking hilarious. The this video is so fucking mean. so funny. Oh, it's I'll so admit, I, I'll admit, I, 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 I kind of liked it ironically a little bit at first, but I, I, oh, I, no. I genuinely love them now. They're awesome. I, yeah, <laughs> the guy who plays drums in E Town. Uh, it was really funny. It was I when I was looking at the comments on that song. This was months ago. The kid that one of the comments was like a kid going, "Yeah, the guy who played drums in this band is the principal of my high school," <laughs> and it, and it, it's not like one random kid. Like it's got like fifteen likes, and like everybody's like, "Oh yeah, Mr. So and So fucking rules." It's like, hilarious. <laughs> That's what that guy does for a living now. Yeah, I love that. That's the thing, man. Every every fucking weird old hardcore guy has like some normal ass life now, and they got a fucking. <laughs> they're just like secret punks, you know. They wear their fucking their button up collared shirt like it's the same shit like you know I've, I've had friends who get their tattoos on their necks and their hands and they're like you know they talk about getting tattooed i'm like i would never get fucking tattooed on my necks and my hands you know like those are fucking life ruiners man you can't get that shit and like they're like what do you mean and it's like you want to be able to have like a you want to be able to wear the collared shirt with the long sleeves and have no one know that you're punk until they see the little like glimpse of the oh, tattoo yeah, like yeah. sneak right out from the underneath the sleeve you know then they know like something's up to that yeah i have a couple and i i 
I can cover it up with the uh, long sleeves easily. But when we go out to a work outing, like I, I'm dressed like all in black. And if I'm mm-hmm. wearing like a short sleeve shirt, I have like tattoos. I'm like, oh man, I hope everyone doesn't think I'm insane. Well, I used to be. <laughs> so it's all good, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about other other cool label mates, uh, it'd be Death Threat, E-Town, um hang on a second Mushmouth. that was another yeah, triple crown it was funny when when i saw triple crown was putting out like caspian and you guys and i i was like wait is this the same triple crown that 25 to life was on oh, so yeah. I, I i went and looked at the website i'm like holy shit it is yeah, it is scarhead shockwave all that shit disciple ad but so you know what's also fucking full circle is that triple crown put out outsmarting simon in uh the early 2000s i don't know if you remember that band they were like a new brunswick a new brunswick band I so, remember them because their singer ended up becoming the new singer for Mar- Marigold, right? Yeah, PJ. So, yeah. so PJ, PJ, who is an outsmarting Simon, he's who put out the very first Progress EP on his label Maroon Set. We had met them because the Progress had played with Outsmarting Simon at a VFW in Bucks County. <laughs> and we gave them we gave them like our shitty cdr like homemade cdr and then pj hit us up on email like a week later was like i want to put this out like actually and uh you know like i don't know if i would have ever had any trajectory without pj bond and um and the the kind of full circle of triple crown being a part of that it's like so fucking so wild well, see, it's a small community. I mean, if you if you're in it, you you know at least somebody. Yeah. Now we've got the new Intuit Over it record coming out in September, right? Yeah. What else do we have on the horizon? Well, so Pet Symmetry is making a record right now. Um, mm-hmm. We've been tossing around some album names, but we don't really we haven't landed on a specific one yet. But my favorite one so far is 2021: A Personal Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> That's clever. I like that. That's my favorite. Be it. That's my favorite one so far. I think that'll wind up being. It'll definitely be a song name for sure. Please don't steal yeah. that if you hear this podcast. Oh no! Um, no yeah. yeah. So we're working on that. Uh, there, that there has been writing again, which is great. We have like a whole kind of a full length worth of music written, um, at least. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we'll start recording that soon, but um, you know. And then I started a new band, like I'd mentioned. I'm not going to say any information about that yet, but that's been something we've been working on during the entirety of quarantine so far. So basically, since March. And um, that's getting to a place where we're getting ready to start mixing that record. So hopefully that'll come out early next year, um, which is, uh, you know, it, it's pretty cool. It's actually like a departure from what anything I've done before. And there's actually like barely little to no guitar on it, which is awesome. Um, I'm actually like trying to figure out how to be a better uh, like piano and synth player. And oh, nice. I've never really focused on that before. And so this has been a nice excuse to kind of like teach myself how to be a little more effective on keys, which is like a thing I've never really done. Um, But it's been totally a studio project to this point. I don't know if there'd be live shows ever, but uh, the songs are super cool. And it's been a really fun distraction from the reality of life happening right now. And then, um, you know, I I imagine by the time this comes out, you know, the intro over record will be announced. I, you know, pre-orders are probably live and, uh, you know, I'll have done, um, right. So at this point I'll have put out a, uh, you guys are getting kind of a first glimpse at this, but I'll be releasing a flexi single on the sixth. That's the beginning of the, the release for this, which, um, so we're time traveling now on the podcast, but I'm releasing a, a secret, <laughs> a secret flexi that has no, no song name, no information. 
Um, the artwork that comes with it, I've made complete assembled completely by hand using the pieces, elements from the book that are parts of the art from the actual record layout. Oh. And, uh, yeah. And, there, and I'm basically for $5 shipped, I will send you a flexi in the mail with some, uh, some hand numbered attachments to it. So that'll be the, the first announcement. The song hits the 10th with the pre-order. This goes live the 13th. So you're hearing this well after the album pre-order has gone online. So you go to, go to triple crowns website and pre-order a record about being a better human being. And that's really sad <laughs> that maybe you'll listen to and cry. <laughs> I, <laughs> hear about my, hear about my personal recovery on your turntable. <laughs> hey man, that we, we love getting into that on this show because you know, we've, we've all done some bad shit. We've all lived through some bad shit and we're, we're continually trying to improve. So it's, yeah. it's, well, it's good. It's, no, no, no. I always try to like minimize that. I, I teach math. I, I, I'm a sixth grade teacher for a living. <laughs> so <laughs> there have been definitely times afterwards. I'm like, Keith, you got to get rid of that one part where I forgot about it. I forgot because it's so because a lot of times, especially if we have our like like people that we grew up with, we start telling stories about when we're like 15, 16 years old. And I'm like, fuck, that was so dumb. Like yeah. we should never have mentioned this. Oh, Actually, yeah. Evan, I wanted to mention this. This is something that I stumbled upon there, 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 mm -hmm. probably four or five years ago, and it was uh, it was a somebody. I, I think it was just because of the YouTube algorithm. It got su suggested to me, but it was um, it was your first show at uh, it five seven two Cuthbert Boulevard. Do you know? Like it was at Reckless Records oh, so in yeah, Chicago. So, yeah, so five, that was our first show. It was Reckless five seven two Cuthbert is a song. Actually, That's the address the, song name. Okay. The, the address of five seven two Cuthbert is uh, just to give you some a glimpse is the Crystal Lake Diner in Haddon Heights, New Jersey. That is the address of five seven two Cuthbert Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> and that song that song is about going to the Crystal Lake Diner with a with an old friend. Um, it's so it's just such a beautifully like the song has this amazing guitar riff that opens. The like the drum section is so great, and it starts out with just you sing. You're actually not playing at first; like it's just your vocals. Yeah, uh, it is one of my favorite songs. I I continually when I make new playlists, I'm like I'm putting that on there. Oh, like, thanks, I man. fucking I love it so much. It's just such a great song. Uh, I just wish I you know. Once in a while, like I, I, it dawns on me. Like I'll, I'll be talking to Keith. I'm like, all right, who's coming on? And he'll be like, oh, it's Evan from Into It Over It. And then I'll start like looking, and I'll go, oh fuck, that's the dude from there, there, there. <laughs> like, it takes me a minute to like really put all the, because like especially with someone like you that's been in so many great bands, like it's so hard to like piece all these things together. We've had people on before where I'm like talking about stuff, and I'm like, oh my god, we we ended a two hour interview, and like we didn't even mention. X, Y, and Z, and I'm like, oh my god, we, yeah, like, we, yeah, I mean, I'm actually, up, like, honestly, I'm straight up surprised we haven't talked more about about the Northeast. <laughs> you know what? Really the Northeast, the Northeast is just a jumping off point because whenever Precisely. I'm booking guests, like they'll be like, oh, but I'm I'm not from the Northeast. Is that okay? And I'm like, of course. Okay. Like it just <laughs> it just started as like us talking about our local scene, but we're yeah, yeah. Yeah. we're global at this point. We had Signal Hill on last week, and one of those guys lives in the U UK. We've been talking to people in California, Texas, all over the place.
Hell yeah. Uh, except for Boise, Idaho. You said that place sucks, so fuck no, that. No, 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 no. no. I mean, I, actually, I, let's, let's correct that. I never said Boise sucks. I just don't need to go there again. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Fair yes. enough. Tommy yeah. said it sucks, so people from uh, our listeners from Boise, if you have a problem, Tommy's email is T... No, I'm just... I actually, I actually really like Boise, Idaho. It's a, actually a, a, a safe haven in that long drive between fucking Salt Lake and Seattle. But it's, oh. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just like those long drives. Like to do, to do oh, a Midwest yeah. tour, you have to do. It's fucking. You're in Kansas City, right? And that's like the last like five hour drive you do. And then from Kansas City to Denver is eleven hours. And then from Denver oh to God. Salt Lake City is another eleven hours. And then from Oof. Salt Lake to fucking boise is like eight and then from boise to seattle is like five or six or seven depending oh, how depending how bad the I, snow is and so like oh then you'll do seattle maybe vancouver but you'll do seattle and then probably portland which is like three hours away and then portland to san francisco is another 12 hours so like no. if you're touring the west coast you are just driving constantly like like non-fucking stop and then that will that will destroy all the good in the world by the time by the time by the time you get to San Francisco and then you play San Francisco, which will be awesome. San Francisco is great, but then oh, you yeah. have then you have nine hours from San Francisco to L.A. Oof. You know, so I it's just like I have a hard enough time driving down the shore with my kids in the car. Yeah, 40, like, I can't do. I, yeah, I can't fucking do that. I'm like Jesus Christ. Are they gonna stop talking? Oh my god. Yeah. What is your what's what's your shore? What's your what's your Jersey shore? Uh, so I so I have gone to Sea Isle City, New Jersey, since I was in first grade. I'm a North Wildwood man, so you know I'm wild. Oh, you party? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're going oh, wild. Yeah. You're party. Yeah. I'm oh, yeah. a. That's like a, a Levittown part two, bro. Dude, yeah. I'm a. I'm, I'm Ocean City all day. Ocean City, Jersey. Oh yeah, nice. But that, we always drive to Ocean City to go to the boardwalk. Yes, yeah, good. If good the clean course, fun, the boardwalk, man. It, Good, yeah. clean, fun. That's a that's a fucking great place. And Wildwoods Boardwalk is is the best. If you go early, that's the thing is, if you go early in the night, it's really great. Like it's such a nice place, and it's so fun. But like the the later it gets, Dude, Wildwood, the more out of hand it gets. It's because Wildwoods not a not a dry town, so it gets a little no, ra- it gets a little no, ratchet. Yeah. Like later on, yeah, it gets <laughs> it's a little like wild. Ocean, Ocean City is completely dry, so you know, like you can get your fucking Core Brothers. You get your Mac and Mancos, you fucking yep. cruise the uh, Gillian's Island, you play a little mini golf, and then you go down to putt putt. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I am going to, uh, I've kind of loosely hinted at this with the band, but I am going to repress the progress stuff on vinyl for the first time. Ooh. Oh, nice. And so that is a, uh, a thing that we have. For a long time, we couldn't do because we didn't own the rights to everything. We owned the rights. Uh, Kenny from uh, Kenny, who did Watch the City Burn, our second EP came out on Watch the City Burn, which was uh, what the fuck was Kenny's band? Kenny from Passion. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> I only yeah, so, know that because of Centerfuse. Yeah, so uh, Kenny Kenny from Passion with his friend Chris started a record label called Watch the City Burn. Watch the City Burn did the second progress EP, which was actually supposed to be a split with Halfway to Holland, and then Halfway to Holland broke up. Oh, and wow. so uh, so those Halfway to Holland songs that were going to be the, the, the B-side of that split are now available because they've made their discography available. But um, 
that was originally what that what that record was supposed to be. And then uh, we finally got the rights back to Merit, which was our full length that was on negative progression. We finally got the rights back to that last year. So um, I'm going to put out vinyl versions of Merit and Golden State and see if anybody cares. And if people care, that's awesome. And if people don't, I'll have... 300 records sitting in my apartment, <laughs> but I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that that happens. Um, we have a really great, uh, we have a pressing plant in town actually, that's in the same building where we made the new Intuit over record and, oh, nice. uh, they're called smash plastic. It's a local Chicago printing press. That's doing, uh, doing vinyl pressings here. It's this dude, John, who works for chirp radio and, um, you know, just trying to keep everything in the family here in Chicago, but, um, looking forward to finally giving that some, the release that it's due. And I, and I would hope that with that, we'll eventually play another show in the Philadelphia area, which it's been, I think the last time we played in the Philly area was like 2013. We reunited for um, a show with the Wonder Years. And then we also did a show at the, at the Boot and Saddle. It was like actually like an actual progress show. And uh, which is so funny because like we never were that good. Like we were playing better at the reunion than we ever did when we were actually a band. <laughs> <laughs> we sucked so bad when we were actually a band. <laughs> now everyone's got some more experience, so you That's can. We're all like older, and like everyone's got kids, and you know we're all you know the the pressure is off, and it's funny how much better your your band can get, or how much better creative outlets can be when you're not so stressed out about how good you wish it was. You know, like once you can. That's just, that's you can one of the benefits of getting older. I think is you you know, shit doesn't matter as much like, Oh no, this is my part or it has to be like this, or we have to tour or we have to make it. You can just kind of do it and have it be what it is and have more fun. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately if you're having fun, that's what's going to make it great. And I I mean, that also being said, like music's a young person's game, you know? And it's like, and if, and I'm completely aware of how fortunate I've been and you know, how fortunate I continue to be just being able to make records and, um, and like fucking bullshit with the two of you guys and just talk shit about, you know, punk and hardcore from North, from the Northeast and, and just about what we're up to now. And, uh, you know, this has been a lot of fun. I've been having a blast chatting with you guys today. Awesome. Well, Evan, we, I just want to say thank you so much for being on, you know, we're really looking forward to the new material and, uh, Tommy, some closing words. I got nothing. No, no. <laughs> my man's, my man's got no. what's, your, what's your okay? Let me ask you. Let me ask you guys some questions. Let me give you. Let me give you. A, yeah, a go. Rundown. Yeah, please. We love right, this. So, uh, uh, favorite cheesesteak in the tri-state area. Pat's oh, the original baby. Pat's, you're a Pat's man. Yeah. All right. So I did uh, recently. When was the last time you went? Two thousand eight, nineteen. I think early two thousand nineteen. So check it. Check this shit out. I I ordered. <laughs> I'm I'm a gymsman. Ah, do oh, I, I like, like gyms. Yeah. People talk shit about gyms, but I like it. I like it. Who talks so, shit about gyms? <laughs> who's, who's talking shit about gyms? Straight up. But uh, first of all, before I go into my next part, you did you know that you can order gym steaks online and they get delivered? You can put them in your oven. Really? Oh yeah. Don't they like they dry? They like uh, put them with like the dry ice and ship them, right? Yeah, dude. So I ordered. Yeah. I, me yeah. and a friend who uh, I work with a buddy. His name's Eric. He he's from uh, North Jersey as well. He's from like New Brunswick area. And so we split an order of eight steaks. I definitely recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I'm a big 
But I like uh, Steve Steve's Prince of Steaks Ooh, on the Boulevard. Got it. All right. I like I like I like that. All right. Now yeah, separate... they have one in Cedar City now too. I I tried it, but I I didn't love it. I'm gonna right, say so already got one in Levittown. So so follow up question: What's your favorite sandwich in the city of Philadelphia? Ooh. I would have to say now I I I know it's a chain, but I love Primos. I love it. Primos is yeah. awesome, and there's a there's a South Philly deli called Cosmes or Cosimes or something like that. Yeah. They they're really really good as well. So I tell you, okay. uh, Tommy hit me. With I'm it. a big I'm a big so I'm a big cart food guy. I like halal carts. I like fucking like the, anything like that. But sandwich wise, I'm gonna have to go with. I like that that uh, Tony Luke's with the uh, roast pork with the Brooklyn Rob. Yeah, my man. Very oh, did good. I win? Did my I man. win? All right, fuck you. Yeah. All right, that's that's it's over. That's not that's not my answer, but that's an acceptable okay. answer. All right, phenomenal. <laughs> so mine, mine straight up, Denix and Reading Terminal. It's my fucking shit. That is the sandwich I dream of all the yeah. time. Oh, I had with that the for shape. the first time. Uh, yeah. I think it was when we recorded the podcast or somewhere around that. I, I stayed in the hotel right next to Reading Terminal and I went there. Yep. It was incredible. Dude, the roast yeah, the that's... roast pork with the fucking broccoli rob and the sharp provolone. It is like yeah. out of this fucking yeah. world. There there is no sandwiches anywhere in the country like Philly. Like you can't get a hoagie in New anywhere. York City. Anywhere. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Any, really? you know New York New York actually well, first of all first of all first of all Fuck you, because <laughs> Dude, the one the one piece of culture that's missing in the Chicago area, and I'll I'll take this to my fucking grave, is the bodega culture. There is no deli bodega culture in Chicago, which fucking is the is the thing that I wish existed constantly. Because you're right, there is no good hoagie. Yeah, we got, we got one spot. It's a place called Bari, which is like an Italian grocery store. It has a deli in the back, mm-hmm. and it's it's fine, but it is not the same. And at least, and at least in New York, you have the the bodega culture where you can get a sandwich at any hour of the night. I love it. I absolutely I, love it. I live on it. Like uh, I, I've I've only recently discovered because I'll be at my girlfriend's house and she'll cook actual meals on plates and everything. I, I've <laughs> I've only recently been reintroduced into that culture. Like I, everything was just a sandwich and a little t- tin of Pringles and like whatever cool drinks I can grab out of the fridge and. You know, <laughs> I love it. I absolutely Dude, I, love it. I mean, like if that's we have a we have a grocery right around the corner from here. It's called Food Smart. It's the shit. It's like a it's like a all nights, twenty four hours. They have like you know a bunch of vegan, gluten free. I'm not vegan or gluten free, but they have vegan and gluten free options. They got like all sorts of snacks. They got a crazy beer selection, crazy wine selection, a bunch of different ice creams and shit. And uh, the only thing they're missing, they they even have a twenty four hour post office inside. The oh, only really? thing. The only thing they're missing is the deli counter. And if the and if Food Smart had the deli counter, it would be the greatest fucking look like place on the planet Earth. I would I would just hang out there all day long. <laughs> just get a get a bacon egg and cheese or an Italian sub on a fucking Omarosa. I'd be fucking psyched. These are seen it only took two hours of us doing this interview for my Jersey accent to come out. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but yeah. The neighborhood I used to live in in Brooklyn, when I still drank, the liquor store would be open till like 11. You could buy beer 24 hours. Uh, you know, it's a 24-hour city, and mm-hmm. I loved it. I'm glad you're safe. My sister lives out in uh, Ridgewood. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so yeah. I've, I've been up to date, you know, like with what's been happening in New York through my, through my sis. But 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've I've been keeping limited contact only with people I need to. Very limited socializing, hand sanitizing, wipe down the groceries, wear a mask, all that stuff. You got to, you know. Yeah. No one, no one wants to get this thing. No, not at all. I already think I had it. Did you have it already? I had some weird sickness in November. I don't know if it was the virus. Uh, it might have just been a cold. I'm not sure. But I didn't lose any sense of smell, and I didn't have any trouble breathing. So, you know, maybe it wasn't the virus. Tommy, what do you think? You have it already? Oh no, no, for <laughs> sure. Like, uh, no, not at all. Because I so uh, when I was 16, I fell skateboarding uh, on a handrail, and I ruptured my spleen. So my immune system is pretty fucked as it is. So um, if I if I were to get it, I don't think it would be. It would be something I would be acutely aware of <laughs> ruptured, ruptured it, it, your spleen yeah so I, I was i was skating uh down in philly and uh i was skating this handrail and uh i tried backside lip slide on it i lost control of the board and i went right from standing up on top of the rail to falling like the board shot out from under me and i landed on uh my ribs on the side oh. but i landed more towards my back um like in between where like that soft spot where your ribs stop and your hip bone starts, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of smash that area right there. And uh, the nice part is about when you rupture your spleen, it actually has like a protective membrane around it. So I actually, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like, I didn't bleed out. Like I didn't bleed out in the middle of the city. Yeah. So uh, I actually, I got back on that. Like I, I knew I was really hurt, but I wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't know how bad I was, but uh, I got back on the train and went home and I walked in the door uh, and I remember telling my mom something like, uh, you know, I don't really feel well. And she was like, well, let me see what happened. I was like, well, I hit my side and I lifted up my shirt and, uh, it was like purple, Ooh. like my whole Ooh. stomach area was purple. And she was like, and my mom's not a nice, like she's a, my mom worked in a prison for a really long time. So my, <laughs> my, my mom is not my a nice lady. <laughs> yeah, she's just, she's just a harsh, she's a harsh person. I love her. And she does any, she, she literally will do anything for me, but she really calmly and quietly, like she picked up her keys and her purse and she was like, I want you to go sit in the front seat of my car. I was like, okay. And just like being a 16 year old, I was like, all right, my mom's telling me to get in the car. Like, I'll go get in the car. I was like, all right. So I just sat in the car and she drove me right to the emergency room. <laughs> and when I when I got in there, uh, I remember <laughs> the nurse said something to the effect of, uh, please, please, please don't get up because she had just taken my blood pressure and my blood pressure was 60 over 40. Oh. And she was like, she's like, uh, she's like, I'm pretty sure you're bleeding out. She's like, so we're going to go ahead and I'm going to call in um, one of the surgical teams. They're going to come in and do a, an evaluation very quickly. And I was like, okay. And I remember, um, it, I, I, I don't exactly, I, the, my recollection of this is kind of like hazy, but I, I do remember the way my mom tells the story is, <laughs> Um, the nurse said, don't stand up, like whatever you do, don't stand up. And I was like, okay. But right before she left the room, she was writing something down really quickly while she was on the phone and she was trying to whisper into the phone. She didn't want me to hear what she was saying. Um, and so as soon as she got up, I tried to lean over to see what she was writing. And that's, that's the last thing. That's the last thing I remember. Uh, so... <laughs> 
I woke up and it was really funny is the nurse came in to see me and she was like, hey, and I was like, oh, hi, I remember you. I was in intensive care for three days and then I was in the regular recovery for another three. But uh, she came to see me in intensive care and she was like, hey, you owe me a new phone. I was like, I'm sorry. She's like, apparently when I fell down, um, I reached to kind of like, you know, get, get my balance and I fucking grabbed her phone and ripped it right out of the wall and knocked everything <laughs> off the desk uh wow spilled her spilled her coffee like i i fucked the whole room up and, <laughs> and it was just like because they brought me in it was like the emergency room where they put you in that little it was like the little side room where like they just do triage so she was just doing like a really basic analysis and she's like let me just get your vitals real fast sweetie don't stand up and then i fucking ruined the whole thing so <laughs> uh yeah, so um, if I had the the original question is if I had gotten if I'd had COVID or been exposed to it, I'm pretty sure I would have gotten it. And you you would have I would I would not be here talking to you about oh, it right now. God, yes. I mean, I'm so sorry to be laughing at your your spleen oh, injury. No, it's, oh, dude. We have to and keep you safe. The show must no, go on. I mean, dude, it's, I, it's hilarious. I don't, I don't have it's, anything comparable to that. I've I've been so fucking lucky. I've never like fucking really hurt myself ever. But I, uh, the only comparable thing I can possibly bring to this conversation in terms of just talking about funny things happening in doctor's offices, I had to get my uh, wisdom teeth pulled one time, mm-hmm. and uh, my aunt Joan is a uh, she's a a dental hygienist, and so. Um, you know, being an unsured, uninsured, uh, you know, punk punker, I was able to fucking go to her dental office and get dental care done when I was having dental issues. Mm. And so I, I needed to get a wisdom tooth pulled and they, they gave me the gas and the Novocaine. And, uh, wow. And I remember I just went on this fucking tangent, like just high as balls in the fucking dentist office about which black flag singer was the best. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, it's fucking Chavo. Do tell me you listen to Jealous again and you don't think he's the best singer? Like you're fucking crazy. And they like the whole office came in to watch me just like vent about Black Flag while they ripped a tooth out of my mouth while I was wide awake. (laughs) That's the closest thing I have. I wish I had some crazy story about just like ruining an entire office in a single (laughs) shot. No, it's and it's really funny because like I I've met other people that um have gone like oh yeah no I had my I had my spleen out or I had uh I guess uh people get enlarged spleens when you get mono like yeah. so if you have like a really severe case of mono sometimes they'll actually remove your spleen because it get becomes so enlarged that um it can rupture so I've met people that have that here's the thing um if you're already in the hospital and they don't have to do emergency surgery um they go in like laparoscopically now so it's like a a, a two to three inch incision um they opened me up from literally my sternum to under my belly button so uh wow the next the Shit. next month and a half to two months uh i had uh i had to like anytime i got up or moved i had to keep a pillow across my stomach to brace my abdominal muscles <laughs> because Dude. uh it hurts so bad and the the funny story this is the only this is the last thing i'll say about it so <laughs> I, uh, I i was in a i was in a band um with anthony from circa survive and Which one? anthony uh so i was in a, the first band anthony was ever in it was called audience of one i love that record how are we not talking Get about audience of one this whole time Oh, because it's about you, bro. I don't fucking talk about this <laughs> <Yeah>. shit. <laughs> so, uh, 
So I, that that, Anthony, that actual the girl the person that I moved to Chicago with was uh, the person who Anthony asked to the senior prom and she had told him no. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> uh, uh, it's my friend, my friend Steph Bomb. So he came to the hospital after I was out of intensive care and I could have visitors. He came to the hospital. And I remember uh, my mom goes, uh, Anthony's here to visit. And the girl I was dating at the time, this girl, Heidi, um, Heidi and Anthony are here to visit you. And I was like, oh, okay. And Anthony had from the lobby, I, 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 I was in um, Holy Redeemer Hospital. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, like Meadowbrook area. So I, I, he had grabbed a copy of the city paper uh, on his way in. And he proceeds to sit down and read from the uh, personal ads <laughs> in the back of the city paper, which are unbelievably explicit. And my mother's sitting there, and my mother's like a fucking like really like diehard, like crazy, like out of this out of her mind Catholic. So he's sitting there like reading these things about like, you know, uh, I I like to get dressed up in men's clothing and saying all this ridiculous shit, and I'm laughing so hard because one, I, they gave me a um, the the drip yeah. thing that you press the button for your pain medicine, yeah. mm-hmm. and I remember the this is how much of a junkie I am. Fucking uh, the lady kept saying they put an IV like the regular um, saline IV in my left hand, and I kept taking the tape off of it. And I would tape the button down on my pain thing because it was on a re- – it was like you could only press it every – you know, they have it set on a timer. So you could only press it every certain number of things. So I kept waking up in like excruciating pain, having to press the button and then be in excruciating pain for like another 15 or 20 minutes until it finally took effect. And I was like able to like, you know, you know, kind of fall back to sleep. So I was like to, to sleep through the night, I kept ripping <laughs> – I kept ripping tape off of things. So finally, I came in. I remember I woke up, and all of my IVs were uh, tied down with latex. So they had like put like latex bands around everything, so I couldn't tape my uh, I couldn't tape my pain medicine anymore. But Anthony really like hurt my stomach because he had actually <laughs> he he made me laugh so hard, and I was I was unbelievably high, and he was just I was cracking up. And the other part of the story I forgot about this is on the way home from the city, Anthony had called me, and I went to the suburban diner um, at on Street Road, yeah, and I met him. I met him. And I sat down next to him. I, I don't even remember who else was there, but I sat down next to him. And, of course, in typical, like, old school style, like the way we are, I get in the, the fucking booth next to him. And the first thing he does is punches me in the stomach. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and I was like, motherfucker. I was like, dude. And I lifted up my shirt. I was like, I just got fucking hurt. My my side hurts so bad. Why the fuck would you do that? And I remember being – I, I – I, I didn't even get my food because I had ordered, and I, I I think I left twenty dollars on the table. I was like, I gotta go, I gotta go home, dude. My stomach hurts so bad. Thanks a lot, Dick. <laughs> and uh, he felt so bad that he came to when he came to visit me a few days later when he was allowed to visit me. He brought the city paper and made me fucking laugh so hard. Oh, fucking dude! I was like, it's making me wonder. Like, is mono is mono a thing of the past? I don't know. Uh, it's it's got to still I, be I, around, right? I mean, I had it. I had it at, in high school and I was with some, I was with a crew of friends the other day. Cause we were talking about like, you know, big, everyone's talking about like sickness now because you know, fucking COVID-19 is happening. And it was yeah, just like, yeah. I was like, yeah, man, like I can't remember the last time I was that sick. Cause like, I, I felt like I got it in uh, like right after Christmas. Cause I was in New York actually. And I like, Al and I, my girlfriend and I, we've been traveling a lot and 
I thought I had something in January that really felt like what the symptoms of COVID-19 were. And I was like, yeah, like I hadn't felt like anything like that since I had mono and every, and all my friends were like mono, like, yeah, I never had that shit. It's like, what? I thought everybody had mono. I thought it was like kind of like a rite of passage. Like you had to just like like get it and get it over with and then you don't get it again. But it's still like a thing that like just exists as a, as a teen, you know, but I have mono and pneumonia at the same time. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was like in a, like a freshman or sophomore in high school and I was singing in a, in a hardcore band at the time called a fall stand begin again was the name of the band. And we, we played some show at the, it was like a Westmont VFW show. It was like us and a life once lost. And, um, it's actually us, a life once lost this day forward. And David's burning. If you remember that band. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, like we were just the, like the young band opening this fucking show. And I was like singing with mono screaming with mono and pneumonia. <laughs> it's it's amazing what you'll subject yourself to when you're younger. Like now yeah, I if I have it. a cold, I'm like, I'm taking a week off. I need to rest. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember I, I, if I had a cold or like a fever, I'd still go out and drink and like go to friends houses. I'm like, oh, I have to go out. That just seems insane now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What are you gonna do? You're gonna go to fucking like sugar moms or something and fucking <laughs> <laughs> have a yingling and stand around and talk shit about the other people who are sugar moms having a yingling. Yeah, that's like serious 2006 style. I that's love that. literally that's literally it. That's like yeah. what you would do. You're like I'm gonna I gotta go to sugar moms. I gotta go to fucking North Third. I gotta go to. Uh... <laughs> oh, dude, I miss the uh, Northern Liberties bar crawl. Yeah. Oh, dude, awful. And what was yeah. the what was like the convenience store that would have the re- that had the really good beer selection there? It was like foodery. Uh, foodery. Oh, foodery was great. Yeah. Wow, this conversation's making me miss Philly now. Making me miss Philly. All right. Well, we're we're over we're over the two hour mark, so yeah, we're gonna yeah, but this was awesome. And Evan, I just want to say thanks again for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Oh, and so we're treat. we're gonna look forward to all the new music and Tommy. Now, some additional closing words from you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, closing words. Shit, man. I don't know. You put me on the spot, bro. I don't fucking know. Uh, be safe. Yeah. Do do the. Be safe. Be nice to people. Be safe. Be nice to other people. Fucking try to help people out, man. Yeah. Fucking wear your fucking. People wear your sh- fucking mask. Yes. Yeah. You know, like just treat people. Be treat people with respect. Yeah. And uh, and just be kind. You know, like, like, oh, and if you live in my neighborhood, stop setting fireworks off at fucking like oh, two o'clock. Yeah, what is Jesus up with the Christ. fireworks right now? It's straight up like it's, Bro. it's, it's, I, I've been reading like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but like there is some like wild ass shit with these fireworks right now. <laughs> I, I'm reading those conspiracy theories and I almost believe them because why, why would they just start, suddenly become a thing in every borough, like every Ever. night, all of a sudden? In every major sure. city. Like yeah. every like Keep we in have mind. fireworks in Chicago, but they don't start till July fourth ever. Yeah, like uh, do are so are fireworks legal in Chicago? Not like that. can you go to like a fireworks store? You got to drive to Indiana in order to. get So here's the thing in Pennsylvania. This is why I can explain it in my neighborhood at least. Um, it like right by my house. Like when you're leaving Ben Salem and getting on Route One, there's a fucking place called a. I think it's called Fireworks King or something. Yeah, like that. I, it, yeah. it, it open like, so it's like a legit like you can go buy like. You know, a couple thousand dollars worth of fucking mortars. But the thing is, it's like I'm hearing fireworks. I'm actually not even hearing. There's a couple times where I heard them and I would go out and look 
and I would like see them. They're big fucking mortars, yeah, it is and it's like, like it dude, is those like are professional grade fucking fireworks. Like, like, legit. and they're not, dude. Those those things are fucking not cheap. Not like, cheap so, at all. They're not little kids. Like, they're not fucking like ten year olds out there fucking with that stuff. Like, the ten year olds don't have three hundred dollars worth of fireworks. It's like so. I I don't know, but I, I my dog is like freaking out every night. Like she every night she like runs into the room and I'm like, what the hell was that? Because like we have a new baby, so she, I'm like, is that the baby? It's like no, it's the dog. Now oh, I grew up Christ. in Levittown, Pennsylvania, so I'm kind of immune to hearing fireworks because <laughs> le- people in Levittown will set off fireworks for literally anything. Any day, <laughs> any occasion, there's just fireworks, so they don't really bother me. After the Eagles won, after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I heard fireworks for five days straight. Every night, I heard fireworks. Oh, dude, like, you know, I, and I got to real quick to aside from the fireworks thing. As a, as a Philly resident who moved to Chicago, I moved to Chicago October 2008. You guys remember what happened in November, December 2008? Yep, Philly's Philly won the World Series. Yeah, you know who fucking wasn't home for that shit. And then, <laughs> and then when, and then when the fucking Cubs were in the fucking Cubs and the Sox were in the playoffs, like the following year, and then both fucking teams lost when they were both fucking projected to be the winners. I was oh. also, I was also in Chicago when the fucking in two thousand three when the foul ball fucking. Uh, Oh, that one they would have killed that Oh, dude, over, right? yeah. yeah. He had to, like, move away. <laughs> I was here yeah. for that shit. I've never been home for a Philly victory. I remember watching the Eagles win the Super Bowl and losing my fucking mind, and no one could – no one understood. I was, like, yeah. a room full of people. Like, I'm the only one freaking out. And then <laughs> also the only other thing that I will say before we, we close out this conversation is when the, uh, the double doink happened with the Eagles and the Bears – Oh yeah, which was a, which was a fantastic evening with me and some friends <laughs> out here. <laughs> but yeah, well, I, I feel I, I am wearing my Phillies hat right now. You can't see it, but I'm wearing it. And um, you know, even though I live here and I've lived here for a long time, I still bleed uh, green and red and uh, orange. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I still carry a lot of Philly pride up here. So <laughs> folks, we want to thank you for joining us for listening and listen, subscribe to us on Apple podcasts and give us five star reviews. Even if you don't like us and <laughs> write actual reviews for us. Apparently if you do yeah. these things, it really helps us out in the podcast world. So Yeah. You, and I yeah. want to know I want to know what your favorite sandwich is. Your favorite Philly sandwich. Cuz I I too agree with the the Primos, the Primos roast beef, a little extra spicy. Yeah. You know, that's that's definitely my move if I'm going to Primos, but yeah. I want to know about your favorite Philly sandwich. And if you don't know, get a Jim's delivery uh on dry ice. It's it's actually pretty legit. Jim yeah. Steaks on South Street in Philly. And <laughs> four, yeah, four, Tommy, fourth and, fourth and Tommy, South. favorite cheesesteak before we leave. Go. Oh, yeah. No, Steve Prince's Steaks is my favorite. That's like my go-to one if I'm in the area and I can grab it. Uh, but honestly, I just go to the pizza place down the street from my house. It's called Chico's. It's fucking phenomenal. It's on Philadelphia Avenue. It's amazing. It's fucking – I can walk there. And their shit is just as good as any other place. That's the thing is like people always go like, oh, Philly, you got to go to this place. You got to go. It's like any corner fucking pizza place that makes decent pizza usually makes a decent cheesesteak. Like you just got to fucking know how to suburb The Philly suburb pizza places, a lot of them are really good. That's how I feel about King of Pizza, Westmont, New Jersey, man. It's the same shit. (laughs) It's it's a good place. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. (laughs) 